You're listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. Everybody, good evening, happy Tuesday. Welcome to Review and Preview. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside my co-host, James Montefusco, and Kyle Russo. Another week, another episode coming to you live Tuesday night, tonight at 7 to 9 p.m. Fellas, people watching, make sure to subscribe to our channel and our page below, as you can see on our ticker, Review and Preview Sports. And James, thank you very much for pinning that, our YouTube channel. Uh, subscribe to our audio version of our podcast on the Anchor. Uh, yeah, looking forward to an action-packed show tonight, guys. Welcome. Looking Thanks forward to it. Looking forward to it as well. Very, very happy to be back and be here. Had a great time last week on Big Blue Avenue, by the way, just throwing that in there. Yes. That was definitely a lot of fun. I know we had we had a lot of bogus stuff prepared for you guys, but that definitely uh, <laughs> lived to the potential, lived up to the hype that we were hyping it up to be. But that was definitely very exciting. Uh, folks, so what we're going to cover tonight, we are going to recap the college football playoff national championship. We're going to follow that up with recap of NFL super wildcard weekend. We'll go over all six games and then we'll preview all four of the divisional games. And as you can see, I know we're a night early on this, but it is hockey night on review and preview. Uh, we're all ready. We're going to talk some Rangers Islanders. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then to wrap up the show. We will talk about Francisco Lindor joining the New York Mets and DJ LeMayhew in a little controversy with the New York Yankees as we are in the midst of free agency. So without further ado, um, let's start. So, man, I got to tell you guys, Alabama looked pretty darn impressive last night. They proved why they were the best team in the nation all year long, winning over Ohio State. By a final of fifty-two to twenty-four, improving to twelve and zero on the season. Um, Kyle, I want to start with you here. Mac Jones had a fantastic game: five touchdown passes. Najee Harris, two touchdowns on the ground, one receiving, so he had three. And then Devontae Smith had three touchdowns and over two hundred receiving yards, all in the first half. Talk about that big three-headed monster! Just a very fun trio to watch and. It's looking like all three of them are going to be drafted very early this upcoming April. No, absolutely. They were an incredible team to watch this year. They were a fun team to watch this year. And something that I found, they were one of the most, I believe, one of the best teams that I've respected more than any other just based on how they carried themselves in a season ridden by pandemic. You never heard anything about Alabama. They were all humble. They were happy to be there. I mean, you look at a player in Devonta Smith first off, Najee Harris as well and Mac Jones, the way they are able to carry themselves on the field on top of what they're able to do is the most impressive thing out of anything that I think I've seen in a long time. 
Devonta Smith has 200 yards and three touchdowns and a half. And this guy isn't chirping. He's not talking to anybody. He's sitting on the sidelines waiting to torch you again. Najee Harris, uh, the play on Porter where he absolutely runs him over, doesn't say anything, just goes about his business. That's whatever. Mac Jones is slinging the ball like there's no tomorrow, and there's no trash talk. It's based on structure and what they've built in Alabama. That's what that's the status quo in Alabama. You've never really seen so much trash talk. But just the way this team carried themselves this year, I, I know they went undefeated. It was the second time that Alabama has done that, I believe, since 2009. And that was another team that was incredible. It was kind of vice versa in 2009. They had one of the best defenses of all time, not so great of an offense. And this year the offense was absolutely incredible for Alabama. The defense was a little less. Um had two Heisman winners as well, Mark Ingram back in 09 and now Devonta Smith this year, both undefeated. Just an incredible, incredible season they had this year. Incredible is an understatement, I think. I mean, Devontae Smith is probably the best wide receiver college football has seen in a while, at least to his numbers this year. And as yeah. good as Joe Burrow was last year, Matt Jones was better in the national championship game this year. Uh, incredible performance. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry, but I understand, like, Harrison Smith helped you out, but the defense just couldn't stop. They they couldn't stop this Mac Jones. Five touchdown passes. Uh, I know that Devontae Smith had to leave the game early with a right-hand injury on a clean hit from linebacker Pete Werner. That was just good football technique right there. It was unfortunate. Smith had to leave the game. But um, I got to ask you, guys, um, James, this – Question is directed at you because, I mean, I know your eyes were glued to the TV last night. How special is Devontae Smith? Do you think he's a top three pick in this year's draft? Because right now his stock has gone through the roof after last night. He is a special human being um, in the sports world. <laughs> you guys like what I did there. Um, but, no, he, he's phenomenal. When, when we were on our call prior to last night, when Kyle was just giving us the numbers up, oh, he dropped another, say, like, touchdown. He was getting this. He showed the college football world, and he also showed the NFL world that somebody could kind of have a quiet season or not have a quiet season and then explode in the championship. Now, he's definitely going top th- – he's definitely going at least top five. I would say top three, but you got Jacksonville. They're probably taking a quarterback – the Jets could use a wide receiver, but do they want to get rid of Darnold? We got to see. So I would say I possibly top three, but I'm looking more at top five. He's not going to be there, guys, when us Giants are there. Sorry, Russo, to burst your bubble. But to get back on track, um, he was something special that it it made the game enjoyable. He's like a fit, he's like a build your own character in Madden, in a sense, yeah. where you just line up and you just like. You have the control of the whole game, and you just hit your player for the whole entire game, and you get like 500 yards, seven touchdowns, and whatever. He was phenomenal last night. He made the game enjoyable, even though it was a blowout. Um, he deserves all the credit he gets. Exactly. Absolutely. You couldn't have said that any better because regardless of who it was, whether it was Notre Dame or Ohio State, they just couldn't cover him. And that talent will easily translate into the NFL I think, too, last night, the reason why he erupted as much as he did more than uh, a normal week for him is because Jalen Waddell was back in the lineup and that, you know, you can't really uh, double cover Devontae Smith if you have Waddell, Slade, Bolden, 
who we'll get into in just a second. But Jalen Waddle coming back after missing majority of the year with an injury. Logs three catches, 34 yards. And then Mechie the third, too, Kyle. We got to talk about him. He was very impressive. Eight catches, 81 yards win. So when Devontae Smith leaves the game, Waddle got banged up again. So you were pretty much down to Mechie and uh, Slade Bolden, who, quite frankly, these are going to be the two top receivers for Alabama next year, unless something changes from now until August. These two guys really showed up in this game, not to mention Bolden had his first career touchdown. Yeah, no, Mechie specifically, he was fantastic in the place of Waddle and Devonta Smith because you got to remember Devonta Smith, I think it was even the first play coming out of halftime is when he took that he, uh, hit by Pete Warner, and he, I think it was found that he dislocated his finger and they couldn't get it back into place, and that's why he didn't come back. And then obviously you saw Waddle. Um, he had a horrific ankle injury, and you know, he really wasn't supposed to be playing but really wanted to play. He said it was a career decision he wanted to play. He didn't feel like he should just wait till the NFL. He wanted to be in the championship. Uh, but you could see he was limping off the field the entirety of the game. You know, uh, uh, you guys have Twitter. You, I don't know if you saw it, but all NFL players were saying, Nick, what are you doing? Get Waddle out of the game. You're going to kill this kid. He's, you know, you, sometimes you can't listen to the players, but in that sense, they did. He played, but he was hobbled the entire game. Mechie came in in that second half and really became a presence. He was getting multiple back-to-back first downs in, in Ohio State. You know, you thought they would come back in a sense or be able to stop them easier because you knew you weren't going to be able to stop Devonta Smith. And even Jalen Waddell just being in there, you saw scared the defense. You saw they scared the defense, even though he didn't have the numbers that Devonta Smith did. He put fear into them. But Mechie just did he did the, he did the exact same thing. He just kept on blowing up cornerbacks. Safeties were missing tackles. Linebackers were missing tackles. They couldn't stop him either. So at the end of the day, it didn't even matter who was in there. They just couldn't stop anybody that Alabama was throwing at them. Uh, Speaking of just not being able to stop Alabama defensively, it it seemed like uh, Ohio State was not able to get anything going. And offensively, they were very stagnant as well. Christian Barmore had a great game. Two tackles for a loss and a sack. And Justin Fields really, uh, you know, showed us why he may not be a top two pick. Uh, barely above a 50% completion percentage. Now, granted, you're going up against defenders like Will Anderson Jr., Patrick Sertain. Those aren't easy guys. Christian Barmore, as I just mentioned, but Fields threw for under 200 yards and just one touchdown. That's not good. Uh, Master Teague had two scores. Now, Ohio State was in it early. I believe the score was 35-17 at the half. So Ohio State was kind of still in the game. But if your leading receiver is Chris Olave, eight catches, 69 yards, it's not going to cut it <laughs> at all. It's no. definitely not going to cut it. And no, nowhere close. Their receivers aren't just as good. Uh, quite frankly, Austin Mack and Benjamin Victor should have been the two starting receivers in this game for Ohio State. They both left the year early to be in the draft, and neither of them really did much in the NFL this year, uh, no. whether it was on our practice squad or on our active roster as Giants fans that we are. Um, they should have stayed at Ohio State, and that could have potentially helped them in this game. Just my opinion. I think they came out too soon. But what do you guys think about that interesting take? I don't even – it's not even a matter of the, the receivers that they had at their disposal for Ohio State with me. It's, it's a matter of fact, and you heard it all week, is that Justin Fields, and you could see in the way he was playing, he was hurt. He, he wasn't uh, – he was not at 100% like we saw in that Clemson game. Um he, he just wasn't. He wasn't that same player on top of the fact that Ohio State couldn't block for him all night. 
they were letting this guy get crushed every single snap that he had. He was getting killed. And we saw there was one play specifically um, where uh, a defender runs right up the middle. And Justin Fields is, uh, is on his side, like basically like in so much pain. He's like, oh, I got to get up. And I think the ref even came over at one point to try and help him get up because they were letting him get run over all night long. No matter, it didn't even have the opportunity to have a clean pocket, didn't give him the opportunity to throw because Ohio State has some weapons. Uh, Jeremy Rucker, you know, I love him. I think he's great. I think he's going to be a great Olave is a great talent. He's been there a while, it feels like. Yep. Austin Mack probably could have been a factor. Benjamin Victor could have been a factor. Um, obviously, Tom, you, you just alluded to they didn't do much for the Giants this year. Uh, more so Victor. Victor didn't even play an NFL game, but Mack had some snaps and receptions as well. Um, but it wasn't the receivers for me. It was Justin Fields, a combination of him being hurt, because you saw he was able to get some stuff going. It was just, again, you're not going to compete with a healthy quarterback that's absolutely obliterating your defense. Uh, on top of the fact, I, I completely forgot about this, and I feel like this flew over a lot of people's heads as well. Trey Sermon got hurt on the first play of the game. That he did. He got hurt on the first play of the game, and that was your main running back. And not that Master Teague was not good, but the guy that's essentially been carrying you in terms of the rush, uh, the run game was Trey Sermon. Right. He, he carried mm-hmm. you last week. He carried you the week prior. The week prior, he had like, what, 300 yards from scrimmage combined or something like that, or just 300 rushing yards? Yeah. The guy absolutely carried you, and you didn't have that going into the national championship game when, in that sense, you need your running back to give it off to because you know your quarterback isn't as healthy as he could be. So I, I think that would be the bigger factor for me, not a lack of weapons because, again, nobody's going to compete with the weapons that Alabama has. It's just impossible. But, again, it was a matter of health, not having your main running back, and the defense, my God. The defense, uh, Alabama made them look like a JV defense. <laughs> and they over anybody any, all night. The only defense they didn't make look like a, J, a JV defense was Notre Dame after the first three drives of the game. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to throw that sauce in there. Um, uh, we'll, we'll get to that in just a little bit. But uh, back to Ohio State, um, tough Borland. Again, this is another great linebacker that I really happen to like for Ohio State, 14 tackles. You know, Ohio State, a very veteran defense that Kyle just mentioned, looked like a JV team out there. But there are guys on this defense that could easily translate into the NFL uh, in my opinion, I think these guys are going to be great. But if you're getting outgained by Bama, 621 to 341, you're not going to win the football game. And it's crazy, guys, because they somehow won the turnover battle against Alabama, and it just wasn't enough. Bama held the ball for over 37 minutes, leading to Nick Saban claiming his seventh national title. Uh, his first obviously came back in 2003 when he was with LSU. And shockingly enough, this is the first time Bama's won a national title since 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been a few years. Obviously, we had Clemson and then LSU last year, where Clemson kind of took Bama's spot for a couple of years, and now Bama seem seeming to reclaim that spot. Um, yeah. I think Clemson really got screwed this year with Notre Dame joining the ACC, having to play them twice. I think that really hurt them as where if Notre Dame wasn't in the ACC, there I good. I think there's a good chance you may put Clemson over Bama still. Um, you know, depending if they win all their games, that just seems the way that it's been going the last couple of years. But it's great to see Bama back on top. I I don't know about you guys. I prefer Bama over Clemson uh, for reasons that you both know, but. Um, <laughs> 
as Kanan Justidiano would agree with me. Uh, shout out Kanan joining the live stream there. Uh, appreciate you. Folks, remember, if you have any comments to drop about this segment, feel free to drop them. We'll get back to you. Um, yeah, but it's crazy. Nick Saban, it, it seems like in 20 years from now, he's going to have enough national titles to outdo both of his hands. He's going to have to start getting like a third, fourth hand or something. This guy's the best coach, uh, arguably, in college football history. I know there's other legendary names we have to account for, but this man, he's just done it all. Yeah, I mean, he's just in a class of his own. I think it was, what is it, out of the last 12 years, Alabama under Nick Saban has had six of those championships. It's it's just absolutely incredible. They dominate every single year. And you, and you see what it takes to essentially beat Alabama, right? You saw in the national championship game against Clemson, it took a guy in uh, Trevor Lawrence with a phenomenal defense, by the way, that Clemson had that year. Trevor Lawrence was being compared to Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning to beat Alabama. Then you go to LSU. Uh, Alabama didn't compete last year because we all saw Tua got hurt, and that's when they had to put in Mac Jones, who never really had the minutes, never really had the start. Uh, Jerry Judy was in and out of lineup because he was hurt. Henry Ruggs as well was hurt at some points during the season. So it was Clemson versus LSU. And then Joe Burrow is putting up, what was it, like seven or six touchdowns in a national championship game? Damn. I mean, that's what it essentially takes to dethrone Alabama. Uh, even a couple years back, back in 2015, when Deshaun Watson won it, we, we remember the, the thriller of a game that last five minutes. That was probably yeah. one of the most uh, – that was a classic national championship game. That was unbelievable. But Nick Saban has just built such a program that it's it, it takes a little bit of luck and, and it really takes just essentially better players, which is going to be hard to come by because Alabama, one thing that they have, a bunch of five-star recruits. Can I also add that they played Ohio State? They only had seven wins. I mean, realistically, guys, did we really think the game was going to be close? Like, me not being like a huge college football guy, when I see Ohio State making it with only seven wins, I'm sorry. First of all, they shouldn't have even been made the playoffs time. We already had that discussion a while ago, um, so I'm not going to bring that up. But, I mean, it's 52-24. to Ohio State should have never been in. Notre Dame should have been. They should have never had a sixth game. Well, that's they broke they, their own protocols. I understand the Big Ten put them in a predicament, but then they, they still weren't uh, responsible enough to avoid getting coronavirus. Yeah. Yeah. So, if, I mean, if anybody was expecting this game to be close, I'm sorry, but I, I don't know if you live under a rock, but a seven-win team, seven team against a 12-win team, it's not going to happen. All I know is I, I won last night. I won big. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, it, it doesn't hurt to bet on Bam. But, again, I when we again, you couldn't control your COVID situation. That's completely understandable. But I thought this game was going to be – I called it last week. I thought it was going to be under the – under seven. Mm-hmm. And I think if we saw a healthy Justin Fields, I think if we saw a healthy Trey Sermon, even though that the defense still got absolutely obliterated, I think that a healthy Justin Fields – an injured Justin Fields and no running back, essentially. Master Teague did a good job, but not as good as Trey Sermon's done the last two games. Was able to put up 24 points in a national championship game. I think they could have reached 30 or maybe got close to 40. Would have been a little more respectable. Mm-hmm. So, last thing here. We know the rankings came out, the final rankings, and this is where we're going to get a little heated up. So, the final rankings came out, and we'll, and we'll go through, like, the top six. We got... Bam at one, obviously, because they won. Ohio State at two, which is ridiculous. Uh, Clemson at three. 
Texas A&M at four, and then Notre Dame is down at five, followed by Oklahoma at six. Um, Ohio State, I get it. They made the national championship game. They beat up Clemson. You have to reward them. But to put Notre Dame at five on their Texas A&M, where clearly through common opponents this year, um, Notre Dame, they took care of North Carolina. Texas A&M struggled against North Carolina. Notre Dame also beat Clemson. Where's Texas A&M's win? Where's their big win? I understand you're in Bama's division. It's tough, but... Didn't they beat Florida when Florida was a hot team? I think that's probably their only win of yeah. note. But through through common opponents, and again, this is this is unbiased Tom talking here. Um, Notre Dame was the better team. They they played Bama the best this year. Um, I mean, look, you can't argue with one, two, three. I mean, Notre Dame didn't show up the, the second game against Clemson. You have two losses. Texas A&M is one loss. I see what they're trying to do there, but uh, it's a shocker that the four teams that made the playoff are the top four teams. But, uh, you know, kudos to Jimbo Fisher hanging in there tough with those guys and, uh, you know, having as good of a performance as they can. So I think the SEC definitely gets a lot of hierarchy, especially this year, because they're one of the few conferences that played the full season. It's just interesting to me. So, Oh, my bad. Go ahead. It's just interesting to see why Texas A&M is ranked so high because I'm pretty sure their quarterback, Mond, is going in the draft, right? So you're losing – unless they got another great guy coming in there, which I don't know, Texas A&M's program, they're losing their starting quarterback. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, Kellen Mond is gone. Isaiah Spiller, I don't know what his situation is, so we'll see. But – Next up, we're going to talk about NFL Super Wild Card Weekend. This was a lot of fun. We had three games on each day. I know I got to catch a little bit of all of them, so it was definitely great. But before we get there, just want to go over some NFL news. The Philadelphia Eagles have fired their head coach, Doug Peterson. This happened yesterday. And Doug, five seasons, got the Super Bowl. Um, now, my question is this, and we're not really going to go too into depth into the firing and as to why he got fired, but who gets credit for that ring? Is it Doug Peterson or is it Frank Reich? I think it's still Doug. I think it's still Doug because I, I think that um, I think that what Doug has shown, yes, Frank Reich was very good as an offensive coordinator, and then you saw obviously he got the job in Indianapolis and you saw how far Indianapolis went. Uh, they got within a couple throws of potentially overthrowing Buffalo, who's one of the best teams in all of football this year. Mm-hmm. But I think the head coach makes the final say. I, I think when we discuss the outcome of what Doug Peterson had in a season of 4-11-1, I, I can't blame him because Philadelphia, they've made the playoffs the last two years after the Super Bowl with absolutely nothing on the offense. You have Greg Ward reading, leading you in receiving when the guy wasn't even on an NFL uh, what, what wasn't even on a practice squad. Travis Fulgham is coming up. It wasn't even signed to a contract, a, a, a player contract. When, when guys like Alshon Jeffrey was supposed to be there, hurt all the time. Deshaun Jackson, hurt all the time. Miles Sanders, you saw this year, missed a lot of games. Zach Ertz missed a tremendous amount of games. Dallas Goddard, tremendous amount of games. The offensive line, I, think, I don't think I said this on the show. I think I said it prior to the show to you guys. In 16 NFL games, they had 14 different offensive line starting combinations. You cannot win with that. We talk about building chemistry. There's no chemistry to be built there. 
Then as well, the defense was missing, guys. The Eagles haven't had a secondary in the longest time. They brought in Darius Slay, but you got to bring somebody else in on that opposite side. And then Carson Wentz as well. Brew a goose egg, still managed to get four wins. Wow. A lot of problems, and they're in cap hell. So I'm not complaining. But if Philadelphia is going to get back into the mix next year in the NFC East and not be the bottom of the barrel for the next two to three years, they got to figure something out quickly. And I think it starts in the front office with Howie Roseman. But um, this just in, Seattle parts ways with their offensive coordinator, Brian Schottenheimer, following um, a loss to the L.A. Rams in the wild card round, which we'll talk about that in just a moment. But uh, that's a little surprising to hear. And then the Cowboys agree to terms with a new defensive coordinator. It is former Atlanta Falcons head coach Dan Quinn. James, how about them Cowboys? Good for them. I want to see what he does because uh, I'm blank. I don't know why I'm blanking on his name now. Is uh, their their coach Mike McCarthy? McCarthy. Yeah. Uh, he he doesn't have a winning season. He's on the hot seat. Jerry Jones is about to fire him midseason. So nah. I think yeah. again, I think we see a Dak in there. It'll be okay, and obviously you improve on the defense. But when Dan Quinn, he was with Seattle, right? He led that Legion of Boom. He's okay. Atlanta, when he was with Atlanta, the problem was they had the best offensive ever. They just couldn't freaking draft defensive players for the life of them. And that's the reason why they – I mean, Atlanta would be a playoff team if they knew how to close out a game. Close out games. Games. Not one game. Not one game. Multiple games, yeah. Guys, look, this – we knew this was going to be a problem for Dallas. They're overhyped every single year. They're talked about Super Bowl, uh, playoffs, and they haven't lived up to that hype. And I guarantee you next year, everyone's going to be talking about Dallas again. And, uh, hey, they Dak, Dak or not, I, I, don't, I, I don't know. They, they have a lot of holes on defense. They um, definitely need to get off of the game of the week primetime games because either they they're still game of the week. They're they're four and nine. They're game they're game of the week. Yeah. It's terrible. No matter, no matter what state you're in, there's cowboy fans. That's why it doesn't it's, matter. It's ugly. It's it's really ugly. They gotta be a little unbiased NFL. Yeah. Uh, but I wouldn't expect anything less. Uh we know Joe Buck loves to call Cowboys games. Oh but- yeah. Before we get into the games, let's quickly go over the quick picks for uh, Wild Card Weekend. And it was a weird weekend, not the best weekend for our good friend Hank and Dichter, who went two and four in the picks. And I believe nobody picked the Browns. That that was a shocker um, for everybody. Russo, hold on. You covered your face. There we go. The Saints, everybody picked the Saints except for Hank. That that was brutal. I think Hank picked that to be different, but uh, Nickelodeon and Andy Hopper were not able to help out there. Um, you guys watch that on Nickelodeon on the channel at all, a little bit? I couldn't watch it. I couldn't take it too seriously. I, I watched it for a quarter, and then yeah. I couldn't stand because they – no offense to people trying to learn the game. I get it. But it was it was too, too dull. Like, I needed, like – and act like somebody else to be like, okay, so this is the actual like a Tony Romo in a sense. Yeah, and Hank also had the balls to pick the Washington football team. I like it. Like, well, of course, you like. Game. Of 
of course, that was you a good like, game, though. That's your closet team in the NFC East. If the that Giants was, still win the division, that was that was one of the best games of the week weekend. To be honest, I mean the way that Taylor Heineke, they're calling him Vanilla Vic. I mean he played incredible. <laughs> he played no, really well. No, I, I'm kidding. According to LPG, it's Jones, but uh, Heineke. Yeah, I mean, look, I'll be honest. I missed most of the game, but. I um, mean, you know, I watched some highlights of him after. He was pretty okay. Was he overhyped? Yeah, because you'd expect any legit NFL quarterback to be able to make some throws. But what he did was all he had to do was keep Washington in the game, and that he did. Uh, problem is he, he's not Tom Brady. And that Tampa Bay defense, they were very stout in that second half, I thought. I thought they did a good job of keeping the momentum. So credit to Ron Rivera, credit to Taylor Heineke, but uh, Chase Young, you spoke too soon, kid. You couldn't get to Tom Brady. Next. I even said uh, that last week. <laughs> All talk, no game. That's what yeah. he pulled up. So, Baltimore-Tennessee, this was an interesting game. Uh, I think Kyle and I had a, sim- had a similar mindset on this, um, not trusting Lamar in the playoffs and really banking on Derrick Henry having a good game. But – I did know in the back of my head that Tennessee's defense was not as good as it was last year. They lost a lot of key pieces, but Lamar did not have the best game throwing. However, he was excellent on the ground, over 100 rushing yards. As um, You want to get to that, James? Uh, this one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talk is cheap. Play the game. Yep. Yeah. He's referring to Chase Young. Yep. Yep. Um. But, yeah, like, that was interesting. And then the Rams. Um, well, do you guys want to talk about that and what happened there? I just could not believe how badly. It wasn't even Seattle's defense because their defense was actually kind of good. I could not believe that Russell Wilson and that offense could not compete with a guy that's basically never played and Jared Goff that's less than two weeks after thumb surgery they they could not throw the football they, they just couldn't do it with the exception of that one play where DK Metcalf absolutely obliterated the defense they could not get anything going it I had to turn that game off halfway through it was on I was just getting sick of it it was to me it was just poor play like all around it was disgusting to watch um Especially when you saw DJ DK blow up on the sidelines at the quarterback and everything, like, yeah. get me the ball. This that you, you, the thing that they don't realize is that when there's when there's say eighty thousand fans at a stadium, the other sideline will not hear any of the plays being called, any yeah. of the trickery, any of that. When you have somebody blown up on the sidelines with no fans in there whatsoever, they're going to hear every little bit. So. Um, let, let's not go too far into this only because I, I kind of did this out of order. I wanted to talk about, uh, I wanted to talk about each game, but uh, I know we kind of just started diving into them already. So if we can take a, a step back just a little bit. Um, James, you can remove this from the screen and actually um, let's, let's start with um, <laughs> look, I mean, you know what? We can start with that Rams Seahawks game since we're on it right now. Um, but, yeah, James, I'll, I'll let you finish your point on that before I get to mine. Okay, so pretty much it's like when you got nobody there, everybody can hear what's going on. 
for the fact mm-hmm. that like he doesn't think about that, you have to remember this is a playoff game. It's not like a week five game where it's like, oh, let's see what's going to happen. No, it's a playoff game where they they'll use any of any word they get to their advantage. Um, it also showed that there's a lot of problems with Seattle, not only with their defense, but as you saw, somebody like D- DK um, that wants the ball and he's not getting it, he's going to make a stink over it. I'm sorry, you got to have a little bit more respect for Wilson and their head coach. I mean, I guys, did... okay, Tommy, yeah, you go. My bad. Guys, I saw this coming. I saw this coming from a mile away. Once I, that, that's why I texted you guys before the game. Did any or during the game? Did anyone else pick the Rams? I mean, I saw this coming from a mile away. Statistically, they're the number one defense in football. The Seahawks historically just can't beat the Rams. Uh, the Rams have had the upper hand in that rivalry for a long time. Uh, Thirty to twenty was the final, but the game wasn't as close as the final score says. It's only Seattle's third home playoff loss in team history. Two of those three losses are to the Rams. Um, And even with John Walford, I know he left the game with a neck injury and Goff coming into the game with a broken thumb. I don't think it mattered that much. I personally, yes, Seattle's defense carried weight into my ultimate decision, but I truly thought Cooper Cup played. That was a big thing for me. And with Seattle, I don't like their O-line. Russ and Metcalf for the whole team. You have Ramsey locked on Metcalf, and then you just take care of Russell Wilson. Leonard Floyd had, I think it was 12 sacks this year, right? 12, 12 and a half sacks, whatever it was. Seven of them were on Russell Wilson. Aaron Donald had two sacks in this game as well. Floyd and Donald each had two sacks. So there you go. And another reason why I picked the Rams is their running game. Their running game is ecstatic, whether it's Cam Akers, Malcolm Brown, or Darrell Henderson. That's a tree. Uh, that's a three-headed monster. That now it's starting to turn into Cam Akers, the rookie, as the feature running back for them. The man had 130 yards on Saturday, guys. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's tough because the Rams' defensive line against Seattle's offensive line was what carried the most weight in me picking the Rams in this game. Uh, Russell Wilson did not have a good game, and. Uh, yeah, the Rams are 2-0 all-time in the playoffs against the Seahawks. I didn't know that, but that, that's my analysis on that game. And uh, I did think the hit by Jamal Adams on Walford was dirty. Um, I, I think that that was kind of a, a low-class move right there by Jamal because uh, Walt Walford did have to be transported, which is, ne- which is never a good thing, but it proved out to not matter. But that's just my point on the game. I wanted two cents I want to throw in. I just – what it came down for me is this, is that Russell Wilson, no matter what game he plays in, you know you got a shot. He's just that type of quarterback. The problem that I have is this, is that, and this has been the, the stigma with Seattle last couple years, since they traded away Max Unger, remember that, that that's flip? They traded Jimmy Graham to Seattle for Max Unger. Since yeah. that point in time, the offensive line has been horrible. It's been horrible. And essentially what happened to Seattle – they don't use their – I was listening to First Take, I believe, the other morning. Dan Orlovsky brought up a phenomenal point. Seattle does not draft well. In fact, they draft horribly. Their first-round picks are terrible. Their first round, they cannot hit on, your first, on their first-round picks. That's essentially what they have to do, especially when you're drafting the type of capital, um, paying the type of money that you are to Russell Wilson, because essentially is this. Any football team that has run well – will try to win before they have to pay a lot of their big guys, right? We saw with Kansas City. They won 
mm-hmm. before they had to pay their big guys. Now they yeah. all got them locked up, and maybe they'll have a dynasty, whatever. New England, as great as Bill Belichick is, as great as Tom Brady is, the reason why they were able to stay great is because Tom Brady, as good as he was, was getting paid $18 million a year. Meanwhile, the guy should have been making 50. That's how you're able to stay great. Russell Wilson is getting paid, what, $35 million a year, something along those lines? Yeah, like a cap sport where you have to fill out a 35-man, uh, 53-man roster, excuse me, it becomes very difficult for you to win when you have so many needs because not only was their offense horrible, their defense was horrible. And Seattle, not only this year, they screwed themselves for next year as well because they traded Jamal Adams. I still, I still think he's one of the best DBs in football. I think he probably is at this point in time, top three safety. Right. But you gave up two first-round picks and I think a second for that guy. Yep. And essentially you have nothing really around him. Maybe Shaquem Griffin, Jerron Reed. I think he had two sacks. Bobby Wagner yeah. loves him, but he's getting old. Mm-hmm. That that's not the Legion of Boom anymore. That's not even a that's not even a top twenty-five defense at that point. So when you have yeah. that working against you, Russell Wilson, it's going to come down to the factor of him solely performing and beating another team. And when you're playing the best defense in football, you can't expect him to do that much. Yeah. There yeah. has to be some sort of, you know, pull and give and shove when it comes to performing on the other side of the ball, and you just didn't see that. The other thing about this game that I thought was huge was when the Rams were up early, uh, they had the pick six off Russ to Darius Williams. He had the interception that put them up, I want to say, 13-3. to That was huge for the Rams. And then um, it just wasn't great from there. Metcalf had a couple of drops in this game. Uh, He was – I mean, I know he had the, the one big touchdown, but other than that, he was not good. He wasn't himself. The, the Rams did a good job containing him. And um, not from you guys, but I was told by multiple sources, be prepared for the Rams to get blown out. I was like, what? The Rams are not. This is going to be a very close game. It was going to be a very close game. Yeah. Um, this is the one game I wouldn't shut up about all, all, all weekend. So before I, I get too ahead of myself, let's move on to Buffalo, where I think we all kind of expected this to happen. The Bills – Won their first playoff game since 1995. Who was alive for that? By a show of hands. <laughs> I wasn't even a thought yet. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, you know what? Neither was Josh Allen, Kyle. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> true. Josh Allen had 324 yards and two touchdowns, one on the ground, and he's the first. Bills quarterback to win a playoff game since Jim Kelly. Let's talk about Josh Allen and the impact he's had on this Buffalo Bills team. It's been a huge transformation from year two to year three. And Brian Dabble deserves a lot of credit as well as Sean McDermott for Allen's development. I know McDermott is a defensive coach, but I mean, these two guys groomed a real nice young quarterback and, now it's starting to seem like the Bills are right up there with the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about it for weeks in terms of not only the AFC, but just the NFL as a whole. Because when you look at the NFC, I don't even think there's an argument. To, I don't even think there's an argument to say that anybody in the NFC could take down the uh, Kansas City. I think the only the only team that could potentially take down Kansas City is essentially the Bills. They're the team that matches up best against them. Yeah, Bills win first playoff game since 1995. Yeah, they're the only team that I think matches up very well against them. They essentially kind of have the same type of weaponry. They both have decent defenses. I think the Bills edge them out a little more. And they both have really good coaches and fantastic offensive coordinators 
who are both going to become head coaches this offseason at some point. Granted, some miracle happens in either Buffalo or Kansas City. But specifically about this game, and, you know, this is a hot take, uh, whether, you know, anybody wants to join with me. I don't think the Bills won this game. I think Indianapolis lost this game. I, I, that, that's my, I think the Indianapolis lost this game. As good as, in, as good as Buffalo played, they played clean, great football. There's no doubt. Josh Allen, spectacular. Stephon Diggs, spectacular. Cole Beasley, defense, spectacular. The shifting point was that decision to go for it on fourth down when they were within, I believe, the five-yard line. They decided to throw it to Michael Pittman Jr. That was it. And Hank will probably pull this up at some point. Take the points, right? Something like that. Take yeah. it. You go yep. for it. That, that was the momentum change. And the only argument that you could say after that, oh, don't go for it, was because then Rodrigo Blankenship later in the third quarter missed a field goal. So it was so technically the field goal wasn't even guaranteed points at that point. But they were missed opportunities. And on that Michael Pittman throw specifically, that was a good play call. There was nothing wrong with that. He actually beat the guy off the line of scrimmage, beat the yeah. guy in coverage. Phillip Rivers just threw the ball too far. Otherwise, that's a touchdown. Yeah. And, we're, and we're potentially talking about Indianapolis winning this football game. As good as Buffalo played, we could potentially be talking about Indianapolis winning this game. Yeah, Hank, Hank agrees. Definitely take the points. I thought this was interesting. Um, Tyler Bass and Rodrigo Blankenship are both rookie kickers. So that was fun to watch throughout the course of the game because I know each team had to kick a couple field goals. And um, the Bills just have a waterfall of wide receivers. They have Stephon Diggs. They have Cole Beasley, who finished top 12, 13 in receiving this year, which is insane for him. And then Gabriel Davis, the rookie out of UCF, four catches for 85 yards in his first career playoff game. Those numbers are only going to plummet uh, next year. So I think Buffalo is a scary football team. The defense didn't have any sacks, and they did lose their rookie running back, Zach Moss, to an ankle injury. He's going to be out the rest of the playoffs, so that's big for them. But you still have Singletary. You still have Allen, who can run it. And they just signed Devontae Freeman, uh, I believe, today. So Mm. that's – that he could potentially be a factor for them. But, um, guys, let's talk about Diggs and Beasley for a second. We talked about Allen and Dabble, but these two, you you need good receivers that are going to catch the football and help out your quarterback. And Cole Beasley was very reliable for Dak Prescott, uh, Tony Romo throughout the tail end of his career when they played together for a season or two, and now – uh, Josh Allen and Beasley is the older veteran on this roster. Stefan's been around the block. Um, and Gabriel Davis is a nice, true Buffalo Bill receiver. They're developing through the draft rather than free agency. So this trio, if Dawson Knox, which by the way, that first touchdown of the game to Knox was very interesting to watch. But if those four can come into their own, this Buffalo team is going to be elite for a very, very long time because all these guys are young. Yeah, well, how well Beasley's the veteran. Beasley's been around for Beasley's a long like time. Thirty-one, yeah. thirty. So you could you could potentially re- you could replace a slot receiver, but the build that you know in the offseason, and I'll you know uh, I'll tell you how I felt upon that trade. I thought that listen, Buffalo got their number one, but as much as they gave up, this is what you had to do. Like Stefan Diggs, this is what he had to do in order for Buffalo to win that trade with the amount of assets that they gave up. And he did that. 
He, he led the league in receptions, I think, led the league in receiving yards. Absolutely unbelievable. And which was, what was even more incredible, I think Josh Allen jumped up, and, and don't quote me on this, from like 52% completion percentage to like 65 in one year, something like that. It was a massive, yep. massive jump. Uh, they, they're Buffalo is a team, Tom. You alluded to it. They're a team built on defense, obviously having Sean McDermott there, being a defensive guy. That's how they built themselves up. That's how they've drafted. We've seen in the past at Oliver, A.J. Epineza, uh, Matt Milano, Tredavious White, the list goes on and line, bringing on uh, Micah Hyde, other guys Poyer. as well. Jordan Poyer. Poyer. Well, Jordan Poyer. That's what they've been doing. And now they got their number one receiver. They brought in their vet, um, John Brown. He played in this game, although it wasn't really a factor. And they draft a very, very under-the-radar receiver who – potential is quietly one of the best the guy that still even though he had 700 yards i believe in seven touchdowns really got no recognition and that only i don't know if that attests to his season or just how good this receiving class was this year but buffalo is going to be a team for a very very long time i think in the AFC, especially because of the way that division looks right now even how miami looks miami needs to figure out their offensive struggles and as good as that defense played i don't know if they could do that again replicate that again Xavier Howard, uh, as good as he played, I don't think he could replicate a 10 interception season. Uh, the last time that happened was like 07 when Antonio Cromartie. Uh, you can't really, I don't think that could happen again. But Buffalo's in a division again, still weak. Patriots are rebuilding. Uh, get to the Jets. And Miami's still in there as well, trying to figure out. Miami's still trying to figure out who the starting quarterback is. Is it Ryan Fitzpatrick or Tua? Buffalo's a team here to stay. They got everything figured out. It's just a matter of. Being consistent, and I think the biggest question with them is going to be, what is the offense going to look like if Brian Dabble is not the offense coordinator? I think that's the only question at this point. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Um, I just wanted to add that um, Philip Rivers in this game, he did have over 300 yards and two touchdowns. Jonathan Taylor was okay in his first career playoff game. This Colts, the Colts' skill players are, are young. Uh, now you have Taylor, you have Michael Pittman, who had five catches for 90 yards. Jack Doyle had a touchdown. And you brought up the Colts earlier, Kyle, how they kind of lost this game. And I kind of agree. They outgained Buffalo for total yards, and they outrushed them by over 70 yards. So right there, that speaks volumes. And this game was great. It had no turnovers. And how do you lose a game, right? If you're Indianapolis, you convert 52% of the third downs. Buffalo converts 22%. How did the Bills win this game? Well, the Bills just stayed out of third down, uh, especially uh, in that second half. They were great. And now the real question is, is this it for Phillip Rivers? And how far can the Bills go? I think the Bills can go as far as the whole way. I think the Bills have a legit shot to get to the Super Bowl. I think they're the one team that has a shot to beat Kansas City. And, I mean, I, I don't know about Phillip Rivers. His contract was only one year, but I, I think – I don't know. I'm not too sure about Rivers. I think it's about 50-50 for him, maybe uh, leading towards retirement. But I think Rivers, it depends. And I I think the Bills are going to shock some people. Yeah. uh, Like I said earlier, I think the Bills are the only team that has a chance up against KC. And then talking about Phillip Rivers, I mean, we saw in the offseason, right? It's proven that they don't believe in Brissett. That's why they brought in Rivers, um, because they didn't think Brissett was the long-term guy. And you got to remember as well, Philip Rivers last year was pretty terrible with the charges. And to pick him over Brissett just proves that they don't think Brissett's the guy. I think the only thing that's going to be difficult this year for the Colts is that in a quarterback class as deep as it is, 
is going to be very hard to net pass up on a potential replacement just for one more year of Philip Rivers. Yeah. True. James, what do you think about Philip Rivers? Remember, he was almost a giant back in 2004. He, he was. And I was watching the pregame. It was quite interesting to kind of relive and remember we how that went down. <laughs> um, listen, for him to play as long as he has, unfortunately, he hasn't had a career like Eli Manning with the two two rings and all that stuff. He's still played. He's played phenomenal in a sense. I think ultimately, I think they'll reevaluate. He'll think about it. I think it depends if Indy offers him the same contract or a little better. He comes back. If not, he just retires and hangs out with his kids. Um, All nine of them. His, his little yeah. football team that he has. Yeah, yeah he has a whole bunch. So I'm sure he's like, all right, do I weigh that option and hang, teach my kids the game? Or do I play another year, see where it leads me, and decide? Kind of like what um, Drew Brees has done in a sense. Yeah. Uh, Hank has a comment saying Rivers – we get that up, James. Rivers had a yep. great career, but I'm still happy we took the GOAT. Uh, yes, Hank, thank you very much for commenting that. If you have any comments for us, folks, feel free to chime in here. Um, we'd love to get back to you, engage with the audience. Uh, but, yeah, so that'll be interesting. Now, John Suggs brought up one last point. I know we've been on Buffalo for a while, but here it is. Baltimore defense is going to shut down the Bills. Now, um he has a point. They shut down Tennessee after trailing 10 nothing. They held a third-ranked offense in football to 13 points. However, John, uh, I don't disagree with your point. I think Buffalo's defense is better, and I also think Buffalo's offense is slightly better, especially because, look, Tennessee's been consistent all year, but they peaked. Buffalo is surging right now. They haven't lost in quite some time. Their two losses were Kansas City – and I can't remember who their other loss was to Arizona. Uh, Arizona, Mary. Buffalo should probably be fourteen wins. Two. Yeah, they should probably yeah. have fourteen wins. That's that scares me a lot more than um, an eleven-win Tennessee team that struggled at times this year. Now I do get it. Uh, Baltimore, one of the best defenses in football, great running game. Totally understand it, but. I think the Bills are going to watch some tape from that game and be a little bit more prepared for Lamar Jackson than Tennessee was. And not to mention Buffalo, uh, not Buffalo, Baltimore and Tennessee also had a little beef. But before we get there, let's just talk about the last Saturday game. It was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers against the Washington uh, football team. They, the Bucs beat Washington 31 to 23, uh, this game did not fall in Washington's favor. Taylor Heineke started at quarterback for them. He was solid. There was a lot of – so I was driving uh, back upstate after the game, and all, I just I, – I looked on my phone, and everybody was just talking about Taylor Heineke. Uh, it was really fun to watch him because he used to play for Ron Rivera in Carolina. So the fact that that relationship was able to translate over to Washington, a guy who was on the scout team majority of the season, getting this opportunity. Uh, you know, a lot of people wish Dwayne Haskins would have still been on the team to just see what type of performance he would have had. But 
Um, Heineke wasn't bad. He threw for 300 yards, had a touchdown. He had a rushing touchdown as well. And there's one name on Washington that never gets talked about. And it didn't get talked about all year, but I think he had like the biggest plays for them at times. It's Cam Sims. The amount of 30 plus yard receptions this guy had this year is insane. Nobody talks about him because they have Logan Thomas. They have scary Terry, but Cam Sims, man, that kid's going to be good. He's going to be a solid number two receiver for them. So I thought they gave it their all. Deron Payne was good for them defensively, but they ran into Tom Brady. And Look. that says it right there. Tom Brady doesn't lose uh, first-round games in the playoffs. Well, he did last year, but uh, Brady, again, he, he was not having a repeat performance of last year, and Tampa Bay was well-prepared for Washington. But it was a very tight game. Give them a lot of credit. Yeah. I think in the uh, end of the third quarter, it was 18-16. to 16. So Washington was right on their coattails. And as good as the numbers look for Tom Brady, specifically a number that I'm looking at, he barely completed 50% of his passes. And as good as Washington's defense is, that's how close Taylor Heineke was to overcoming you know, that obstacle. And it was – it was it was that close. It was like, oh my, is is Taylor Heineke going to win this football game against the greatest quarterback of all time? Because they couldn't get anything going in the run game. Antonio Gibson was like fourteen attempts on thirty four rushing yards, so they couldn't get anything going in the run game. It was all Taylor Heineke it, it, on top of the defense, but on the offensive side of the ball. And this guy competed. He really complete. He really competed. But. Did you know Taylor Heineke, they said this on the broadcast, Yeah, that he was part of the Patriots organization, that he came in one morning when Tom Brady was there, 5.30 in the morning watching film, Yeah, and he was able to sit down with Brady and pick his brain while they were both watching film. So kind of made a full circle for him, for both of them. Yeah. Seeing, you know, at the time a possible – Possible future guy taking Brady's spot, but isn't playing against Brady, nearly beating him. Uh, Washington played out their minds. Honestly, Tyler Heineke, I think uh, I think that's how you say it. Taylor. Uh, yeah. That he, I don't know, man. Me and Russo had the discussion. He might be the best starting quarterback in the FC East. I have one more thing about Heineke. He, before this game against Tampa, he started one other football game in Carolina. I remember working it. I was assigned that game at work. And I remember his post-game presser. I'm like, this kid is actually really bright. I don't know why he's getting more looks. And now all of a sudden, can Taylor Heineke be the starting quarterback for the Washington football team in 2021? I'll be honest with you. I think he's the front runner right now. I mean, at least out of the quarterbacks they have on their roster. Yeah. I mean, Allen is probably not going to be back. Haskins, they already let go. Smith is contemplating retirement. Um, you know, maybe they draft the quarterback this year. Maybe they run it back with Taylor Heineken and see what they could do. Um, but Tampa Bay was really good in this game. Despite Brady's poor completion percentage, he still threw for over 375 yards, had two touchdowns. Leonard Fournette and Antonio Brown each had a touchdown. I'm mm-hmm. telling you, those were two excellent additions for Tampa Bay late uh, Brown midseason, and then Leonard Fournette back in early September. And then, uh, of course, Chris Godwin had a score that Mike Evans over 100 receiving yards as well. They're too wealthy on offense. They led Tampa Bay had 509 yards of offense. And Tom Brady now has his 31st career playoff win. 
That's more career playoff wins than Washington does as a franchise. They have 23. Tom Brady has 31. And this is all since 2000. So that's insane. And it's crazy. It's Tampa Bay's first playoff win since 2003, back when Brad Johnson was at the helm. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, Tampa Bay back uh, back shooting some cannons out there. They're uh, they're rolling into the uh, divisional round weekend with an old quarterback. It seems old quarterbacks work in Tampa's favor. Yep. So, yeah, be interesting to investigate as we preview that game a little later on in tonight's show. Um, but we do have a comment. The Philadelphia Eagles have reached out to Bucks DC Todd Bowles to interview him about their vacant head coaching job. Bowles played at Temple in North Philly and served under Andy Reid in Philly. Will interview with the Eagles following the divisional round game. Uh, I don't think they'd be bringing him in for that reason because Andy Reid is no longer with the organization. Uh, I know Bowles has some familiarity with the area, but I don't think Bowles is getting a head coaching job. No, I don't. Not I don't. After what he did with the Jets. It's not even that. It's just that there's so many other better options. Why yeah. would you go with that guy? A lot of better options. I think yeah. I, I'm, I'm concerned that I don't want the Eagles getting Joe Brady. Uh, and I definitely don't want them to get uh, Brian Dabble. I think those are two guys I'd want them to avoid. Because um, I think a couple of other guys like the enemy, I think – I could see him going to probably Atlanta at this point. I think that's one of the teams that's really honing in on him. So, and I don't think Robert Salah will be available much longer. So, um, all right. So we'll move into Sunday. Ravens knock out the Titans 20 to 13. We just briefly previewed this, uh, this game. Baltimore gets redemption from last year and week 11. The Ravens are now 6-0 in road wildcard games. I think if Kyle and I both read this stat before the game, we may have uh, second-guessed ourselves or at least flirted with that idea. Uh, Baltimore is usually better when they're the underdog in the playoffs, not when they're the favorite. Uh, But Action Jackson finally gets his first career playoff win. Remember, it took Eli Manning four seasons to get his first playoff win. It took Lamar three. Now, they both went down similar paths, both losing their first two playoff starts. So I think Lamar – it's nice to see him win a playoff game. I mean, I I was rooting for Tennessee. I wanted Tannehill and Henry and Vrabel to come out on top, but it was nice to see Baltimore get a win. I know we were close with a few Ravens fans here at Review and Preview, one in particular who started this whole stream yard thing for us, and Fonz DeFalco, who will be sitting down with him later this week, the three of us. So that should be a lot of fun. Um, last year, Tennessee just dominated the game. And Tennessee led 10 nothing early in this game, right? Baltimore got out to a hot start. Lamar Jackson throws a pick. I believe it was to, I want to say, Malcolm Butler. Uh, I'm trying yeah. to remember who it was. Yep. Yeah. At that point, I'm like, all right, that's it. Baltimore's losing. Well, yep. Never assume. Never assume too soon. Sometimes it takes teams a while to get settled in. Here's my problem with Lamar Jackson. He almost had as many rushing yards as he did passing yards. That can work against Tennessee, but it's not going to work against Buffalo. And I guarantee you it won't work against Kansas City if they get past Buffalo. So Lamar's going to have to throw for more than 180 yards to continue to advance in these playoffs. What do you guys think about that? No, absolutely. I mean, uh, again, like you said, Tom, 
Buffalo's not going to give up 50 yard rushing touchdowns. That's not going to happen. Tennessee, the, the Tennessee, that, if you guys recall that play, I'm watching Kenny Vaccaro jog and try to chase him. That, that, it's like, what are you doing? You're not even trying. The defense, <laughs> defense is just looking stupid out there. It, it didn't even look like they were trying at some points in this game. And then, you know, switching over to the offensive side of the ball, you know, we talked about it a little bit. Uh, Ryan Tannehill did his best, but. Again, if Derrick Henry's putting up a goose egg, which we thought was impossible, but like John Suggs is saying, he had like 40 yards. My God. I mean, yeah, you're not going to win that game. You're just not going to win that game. No, especially when you your offense no, is 100%. just no. no, like James James, like you were saying, if you're if he's not he's the Derrick Henry is the is the engine behind this Tennessee offense. Ryan, Ryan Tannehill is the conductor. He's, he's, he's running the offense. But if Derrick Henry is not producing at a high level, you could probably guarantee that they're not going to win the game. Ryan right. Tannehill, as good of a quarterback as he is because he had 33 touchdowns this season, passing seven, rushing, as good as a performance that he did, this offense runs through Derrick Henry. And if he's not putting up those numbers like he did against this, this Baltimore, I think at one point in the game, he was averaging less than one yard per carry. That's how bad he was. It just he couldn't do anything. And and here's my issue with this game as well. Tennessee had five sacks in the first half. They had none in the second. That's yeah. where the game really took over. And then once Justin Tucker missed the field goal, I'm like, okay, Tennessee's going to go down and score. They're going to win the game on this next drive. It yeah. didn't happen. They couldn't get Henry going. Uh, it's unfortunate, but look – Baltimore, Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, Chuck Clark, they have a really good secondary, great defense, and shout-out to them. They outgained Tennessee 401 to 209, and the rushing yards, that is just an insane stat. Baltimore rushed for 236 yards. Tennessee rushed for just 51, and these were the top two rushing teams in football. They shut down Derrick Henry. <laughs> that was it. it. Definitely teetered. It teetered in Baltimore's favor, but yeah. Tennessee gets eliminated. Hardball gets the better of Rabel this time around. But I know there there was some was like hostility after the game on Baltimore's side, not wanting to meet Tennessee at midfield after the game, dancing on their logo. I think this is an outer division rivalry that is now going to last for years to come. I think Baltimore and Tennessee fans just don't like each other. I mean, we speak fonds. We speak to fonds about it all the time. The guy sounds. The, the guy used to sound depressed when he talked about Tennessee, but now he finally yeah. gets gets the smile. And watch his Baltimore Ravens beat the, a really good Titans football team. Yeah. And the and with that, the Titans are no longer in the mix. They're gone. You can stick a fork <laughs> in them, fonds. Congratulations. Yeah. I mean, listen. You knew I. I should have known Tennessee's defense was like Swiss cheese. It was so yeah. bad. Uh, even even as good as Derrick Henry is, I mean, their defense was so bad. Tom, we should have expected Lamar Jackson to have this type of game. A quarterback that doesn't necessarily rely on his throwing but relies on his running. We should know better. Something told me to – something was telling me to pick Baltimore, but I just went with Tennessee anyway. It's kind of like they Baltimore hadn't proven anything to me yet, so until they prove something to me, I have no reason to pick them. Yeah, that's uh, true. That's just the way yeah, I true. thought about But That's true. Uh, Next game, the uh, I think the one game that was definitely the most predictable game this weekend, the Saints and the Bucks. The Saints win against the Chicago. Saints and the Bears. Saints the, the Bears. Bears. 
Bears apologize. Uh, I keep forgetting we're still in wild card weekend. Have to press the rewind button there for a second. The Bears fall to the Saints 21 to 9. The Saints allowed their fewest amount of points in a playoff game in team history. This game was broadcasted on Nickelodeon for reasons I can see why, because the Bears did not belong in the playoffs. Mitch Trubisky threw for under 200 yards in a touchdown, one that was dropped by uh, one of his wide receivers. Wims. I was thinking Wims. Mims or Wims. Yeah, yeah, Wims. That was that was a real shame. And um, Hank just wants to know, raise your hand if you picked Chicago on quick picks. Well, you did, Hank. You did. Thank you. I appreciate it. I would have, even though we didn't have losers this week in quick fix, you kind of saved me. You know, I got to say, Hank, I don't even think Andy would have picked the Bears. I mean, it, Andy probably just laughed it off with some SpongeBob after the game. So SpongeBob was on before the game, too. I turned to Nickelodeon. And I, yeah, I, I was like, oh, let's see if they have like a pre show. And it's SpongeBob. And I'm like, what? all right, I'm watching the actual pre show. And who was the broadcast team? It was I know it was Ian Eagle's son. It was Noah Eagle, Nate Burleson, I think, was the color commentator. And then there was a woman in there too. I can't remember her name, but Jabby something. I don't yeah. know her last name. Um, and they had one actual NFL announcer. It was basically they're trying to target younger children as from from a marketing perspective. And I, yeah. I think they did a decent job on the broadcast doing that. I think Noah Eagle is gonna have a good career ahead of them. So definitely that brought life to the game. I wonder if they did that because they knew it wasn't going to be a great game. But anyway, um, Montgomery did not look good. He only had 31 yards on the ground. The Saints were up 21-3 to late in the game where the Bears' defense made a goal line stand on a uh, – it was like a quarterback sneak leap into the end zone. Drew Brees tried jumping over the pie line, and he was unsuccessful. Uh, so then Chicago took over, scored a garbage time touchdown. Drew Brees had a decent game. Wasn't bad. Alvin Kamara was just one yard shy of a hundred, had one touchdown. And Deontay Harris was the Saints leading receiver, seven catches, 83 yards. And Kyle Russo, this is where I turn the table over to you. Why is Deontay Harris of significance to us? To us? Yes, to you and I specifically. I have no idea. Tell tell me why he has significance to me. When Assumption College, remember Deontay Harris played for Assumption College, who traveled to oh. LIU. You were the spotter for that game. Damn, small world, man. Small world. Yeah. So, so you saw him on the sidelines. Wow, good for you, buddy. In, in the press box, actually. Yeah, the press box. box. I don't even stand. remember that. You used to stand behind Greg and Demiris doing that stuff. And Deontay Harris, man, he had five catches in that game. Yep. And now he went from catching passes to Mark Monks to Drew Brees. And actually, I got to call one of his games the year prior. He he's something else, man. He's he's a dime he, he's a diamond in the rough. But especially special teams and a D two guy catching passes from Drew Brees. Man, I gotta tell you something. That's a story he's gonna be telling his kids, grandkids for quite some time. I uh, just want to throw that fun fact in there. Uh, yeah, and then Michael Thomas, of course, had a touchdown. He was great. And Trubisky wins Nickelodeon MVP. I don't even know how we figure that out. I don't know what the voting system was for that. It was definitely a fan vote. Definitely yeah, it was a like a vote. fan vote. Um, Sean Payton got slimed like that he promised funny. he would. So yeah. That was funny. 
Does MVP stand for like not valuable player? Oh, Nickelodeon valuable player. Oh, that's that's yeah. what he's called. Yeah, not valuable. But yeah, Deontay Harris, small world. So the fun. Well, oh, and before we move on to the Browns and the Steelers, I just want to say that Chicago has a lot of questions surrounding their organization now they have guys that don't want to play for the team that they have to trubisky is a free agent Allen robinson is a free agent oh, they are he was all smiling are you like you're trying to egg on andy andy's gonna rule in the comment section <laughs> I <don't>. <laughs> you're egging on andy andy's coming on in a second well, did, did you guys uh nfl updated uh sent me an update around 20 minutes ago uh chuck pagano's retiring yeah, I guess that game is the defensive coordinator pissed them off too much. Um, I, I, I don't believe I, I believe this is true. I, I heard the uh, I think Tony Romo said it during the game towards the end of the game. The Saints like outplayed them like seventy to thirty eight plays in which they ran on offense. So, I mean that's that's a telling tall tale right there. And then the Bears didn't have a third down conversion. They were zero and nine until like the last play of the game when they threw it to Jimmy Graham for like the one handed catch. Yep. And he walks into the locker room and says, oh, the game's over. We're done. That's See, it. Like, the Colts-Bills two-seed, seven-seed game was good, but this is the problem with the new playoff format. You're going to get some two seven-seed games that are just not good at all, and this was a prime example of that. So yep. we, we kind of have to live with that moving forward. But the final game, that shocked us all. Uh, Kevin Mondello, if you're watching right now, I know you were at my house Sunday night watching that game, and that that was intense. Uh, the Browns bounced the Pittsburgh Steelers 48-37, the Browns winning their first playoff game since 1994, snapping a 26-year drought. The Browns, I knew they had a chance to win in this game and that it would be possible despite not having their head coach, Kevin Stefanski, but a 28 nothing lead in the first quarter scoring a touchdown on the first snap of the game on an aborted snap by Marquise Pouncey recovered by Carl Joseph in the end zone who would have predicted that he only had eight fumbled snaps in his entire career leading up to that moment that wasn't even a fumble snap that was just like that was just like if big ben was like 9 feet tall he would have caught that that was yeah well Let's talk a little more about this game because after that touchdown was scored on the first snap, Baker Mayfield followed it up with a 40-yard touchdown pass to Jarvis Landry, who has been getting a lot more targets without Odell Beckham Jr., and then Kareem Hunt scored two touchdowns as well. So they were up 28-0, and then from then on, Pittsburgh was just playing catch-up. They were pretty much running a no-huddle offense since, like, the second quarter. And, you know, they, they chipped away at the lead a little bit, but it was too much to overcome. And what really surprised me was just Steelers' defense looked horrible. Yeah. And that's an understatement, folks. 48 points to the Browns without Joel Batonio, three-time Pro Bowl guard. Uh, they also lost Jack Conklin, their right tackle, to a calf injury. And then they lost their backup left guard, Dunn, that was replaced by Blake Hans, who made his first appearance ever in an NFL game. This is who was running all over you, Steelers fans. Do you hear us? I'd said it since, what was it? It was week, I think it was week eight. I came on here, week nine, I came on here and said that the Steelers just got a bunch of nothing wins. And I think they're a fake team so far. 
I think early on in the year when they had Dupree, I knew they were missing uh, Devin Bush and they were missing Bud Dupree in this game. But again, that wasn't going to change the mistakes that Big Ben made. And I want to bring us back a couple of years because this same thing happened a couple of years ago. You guys remember when they played Jacksonville in the playoffs? You guys remember when they yep. played Jacksonville in the playoffs a couple of years yep. ago? And they lost. Ben Roethlisberger did the same exact thing. He threw, I think he actually threw five interceptions in that game, but he also had like 500 yards passing and like four touchdowns. So essentially, as much as he was helping the team, he's the one that dug him that hole. And yes, mm-hmm. when your center oversnaps the ball within the first five, ten seconds of the game, it sets the mood point for the game. But Ben Roethlisberger, as much as he helped them chip away at this lead, he's the one that dug him in this hole. That was essentially what happened in this game. Yes, I also think his receivers definitely contributed to that. Deontay Johnson dropped the pass that resulted in one of the interceptions weren't Big Ben's fault. Um, yeah. One of them was a tip pass. I believe Johnson was the receiver who was one of the leaders in drops this year in the NFL. And then Juju had a couple of bad plays as well. So, yeah, Roethlisberger becomes the first player in NFL history with four touchdowns and four picks in a playoff game. He went 47 for 68 for 501 yards, and that was the most pass attempts by a quarterback ever in a playoff game. Now, it was very different on Cleveland's side of the ball. Baker Mayfield threw it only 34 times, three touchdown passes, and Baker – making his first career playoff start, one of only two quarterbacks to win their first career playoff start on the road, the other being Michael Vick. Mm. Fun fact. Fun fact. Very impressive. Very impressive. We also have to look at Nick Chubb, 76 rushing yards, 69 receiving yards, and a score. Hunt with the two touchdowns. And Austin Hooper's really been coming on as of late. Uh, he, he's been nice for them at tight end. And I got to tell you, this Browns defense, they didn't have Olivier Vernon. Pitt, Pittsburgh's making, you know, they're sitting there, oh, we didn't have Devin Bush. We didn't have Bud Dupree. Cleveland didn't have their head coach. They didn't have three three offensive linemen. Uh, they didn't have Olivier Vernon. So you could easily double Miles Garrett. What happened? You're throwing interceptions to guys named Taki Taki. Porter Gustin. Porter Justin. Who are these guys? Yeah. Come on. Come on, Ben. Yeah. Well, You're better than that. So now there's. By the way, I just want to say the Browns had no sacks. None. I think. Uh, oh, yeah. Pittsburgh had like no sacks for like the first time. I think they broke a streak of like 48 games that they had a sack in. Neither team had a sack. Yep. Yeah. yeah. James, continue. This game shows you that. Um, not only Pittsburgh beat, depending, I forget on what NFL account, it could be the NFL memes account, whatever it is on Facebook, it shows up, it lists every team Pittsburgh played throughout the season. They beat Daniel Jones, they beat this, they beat that. Realistically, a few of them going 11-0 meant nothing. Yeah. Because it, even though people are like, we were probably all like, oh, wow, they're 11-0, like they're 8-0, wow, are they legit? We said yes, right? We probably all said yes, and we were like, well, kind of. But looking at how they played against Cleveland, not saying Cleveland's a bad team. Yes, they're they're loaded with running backs. They have a good wide receiver core. They have a good tight end. Um, But to come out and play the way Pittsburgh did, I'm sorry, it's embarrassing. And I don't know if you guys saw, but Pouncey and um, 
Yeah. Big Ben. We're sitting on the bench right yeah. after the game for I don't know how long, upset at themselves or upset that they lost. I don't blame them because they're both veteran guys that Big Ben, well, is he going to retire? Is he going to play another year? And then Juju, I guess, was in the picture. And I'm like, but honestly, you caused too much trouble this year with the TikToks or dancing on the, the middle of the field um, pregame. Just stay out of there. Let, let the older guys have their moment because that may be the last time we've seen them step on a field. I think that, again, and this, and this happens in all sports. In fact, we saw it so many times just this week alone. Um, look at actually a couple weeks uh, last week. Remember? Dabo Sweeney saying Ohio State's an 11th-ranked team. You don't think that fueled the fire for Ohio State to come out the way they did? Yes. Uh, Juju saying the Browns are the Browns, and you don't think that fired up the Browns, especially not having a coach, missing offensive lineman pieces, missing one of their best defensive edge rush guys in Olivia Vernon. You don't think that fired them up? You just got to be quiet, man. You just got to be yeah. quiet because no matter how good you think you are, because I think we could agree that Pittsburgh, just based on experience, might be the better team defensively. Maybe not offensively, but defensively. And coaching as well. Having Mike Tomlin, who's probably, what is he, probably the second longest tenured coach besides Bill Belichick at this point in time. Something like that. Yes. Yeah, I believe the third is Sean Payton. Yeah. yeah. You just gotta, you, you got to be quiet, especially as a younger guy who necessarily really hasn't proven himself. Because without Antonio Brown, he really hasn't – he has proven that he's not a number one receiver. So, again, I think that fueled a lot of the fire in a lot of these games. And – I mean, even that Bengals game early, uh, later in the season, are the Bengals a better team with Brandon Allen than the Pittsburgh Steelers? No. But they came out fiery, and they absolutely rocked Juju. Remember, uh, yep. I think it was Von Bell it was? Absolutely obliterated him off the face of the earth. Ryan Finley, Finley, no? Ryan oh, Finley yeah, with Ryan Finley. Ryan Finley. Even better. Even better for Pittsburgh's argument. That's You can't be doing that stuff. You just got to gotta stop. You got to control yourself. You like to have fun. I don't know if you guys saw this as well. But Chase Claypool, a video of him a week before the game on one of his uh, live streams, goes, oh, well, we lost to the Browns this week. Don't worry. They'll get clapped next week. Dude, just stop. Stop. Because all this stuff comes back to bite you. You're only helping the other team. Yeah, I think Mike Tomlin needs to have a discussion with his players about this stuff. I will – I'm not the biggest Juju fan. And, yes, he did have over 150 receiving yards in this game. I'm not a fan of the TikTok video thing either that's going on with him. But the media has taken advantage of his situation a little bit, trying to make him look like Antonio Brown, which Juju is clearly not. I think Juju is a little bit more professional than that. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think Juju, I agree with you, James, in a sense, but he also has gotten a little bit of an unfair card from the media. They're taking advantage of everything that he says and promoting it because now there's nothing to talk about well, with AB. So what are they going to do? They're going to well, go after I wasn't talking about the media at all. That's my own sense. Like, he just yeah, needs no, to cut I, it out. I agree with like, you. I, I felt the I'm same sure way. That, you know, I'm sure they're spinning the story however they do it. But I'm like, I look at it from a fan standpoint and from, like, uh, an employer standpoint. It's like, you just need to cut it out. Like, it's not Great. looking good for you or your image. And to let alone, where's he going to be? Is he going to still be on this team? Yeah. Where's he going to go? Know, that, that's Tell where me. I look at it. That's how I look at it. I don't really look at it towards like what ESPN, Sports Center, all that stuff saying. Yeah, I just look yeah. at it from an outsider's perspective. I, I get. I, I'll be honest with you guys. I get majority of my sports news from YouTube content creators. I, I just watch what these guys have to say, and like I follow them on so and see what they have to say. I, I think 
the, these guys, like Lawrence Times, his tweets on the games are spot on. Like he he knows a lot, and the way he was talking about the Steelers game was uh, very interesting to follow. But anyway, yeah, Pittsburgh, they have weapons, Claypool and Ebron too, who just came yeah. to the team this year, and they still it still wasn't enough to beat the Browns. Not to mention special teams coach Mike Freifer deserves all the credit in the world for his coaching performance in this game. Uh, my last question about Cleveland: How impressive? is this win, not just for the Browns as a team, but for their organization as a whole and what they've been through. It's absolutely astonishing. It does everything because not only does it shut the haters up for the Browns as a whole, but it shuts the haters up for Baker. Baker is a guy going into the season who people said if he didn't perform, he was out of Cleveland. He was done. That was it. Not only did he lead them to their first playoff win, he led them to a 10-win season, and no matter if you hate him or not, without your number one receiver, your defense wasn't that great. Yes, your offensive line was great. You had a first-year head coach. A lot was riding on him to perform, and he did. The first half of the season, maybe not so much. Second half of the season, I think the last eight games, he only threw two interceptions with like 16 touchdowns or something like that. He out of his mind. He was incredibly – he helped the team. He did what he had to do, and he did what he had to do in this game to win this game because as big as a hole as Pittsburgh dug themselves into, like you said, Tom, Big Ben was able to crawl back, and Baker was able to put more points back on the board so that they were able to come away with the victory because the Browns' defense really wasn't that great. And one final statement on Baker, and then we'll move on to the divisional round games. Baker really didn't throw the ball much early on in the season. Why? Everybody was like, well, why the heck is Baker doing so good lately? Because the teams teams that the Browns played in the first half of the season were teams that were terrible against the run, majority of those teams. So the Browns just ran down their throats and won football games that way. In the latter half of the season, what happened? Baker had to start throwing the football because the Browns couldn't run for 200 yards a game anymore. They're going up against better run defenses. The Giants are a perfect example. Why did Baker, or did Baker have like th- two or three touchdowns in, in that game? Everyone's, well, why, why did he have that five-touchdown game, right? If he has to win a game with his arm, he could do it. Off of play action, he's one of the best quarterbacks in football. And it'll be very interesting to see him next week, which, fun fact, he will be the oldest quarterback starting for an AFC team next week. He is only 25 years old. Yep. Mm-hmm. Goes to show you that the AFC, you call those guys the young guns. And Baker Mayfield, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, and Josh Allen. As were in the NFC, you have the ancients. You have Tom Brady. You have Drew Brees. You have Aaron Rodgers. And then, yeah, you could throw Jared Goff in there, who who happens to be older than all the AFC guys as well. But uh, you guys get the point. It's the old men against the, the young kids. So that'll be very fun to watch. Hopefully we get an old versus young in the Super Bowl. That would be a lot of fun. Speaking of which, let's move on to the divisional round. We have two games on Saturday, two on Sunday, down to eight teams as the field spins out heading into divisional round weekend. On Saturday, we have the number six seed L.A. Rams at number one Green Bay Packers. Packers are favored by seven. A lot of Packers fans and analysts are saying, well, nobody comes into that tundra and wins. And again, Lawrence Tynes right back at them. 
Uh, it's not that difficult. We did it twice. <laughs> but can the Rams do it? Can the Rams do it? The Rams come into this game with the number one defense, and the Packers have number one offense. We're still not sure who's starting at quarterback for the Rams. I'd imagine it's going to be Jared Goff. You have to throw your best quarterback out there at this point. I don't even know if Wolford would, would be ready. But this is a fun fact about this game. Jared Valdir, who started Saturday's game for the Indianapolis Colts at left tackle due to Costanzo, Anthony Costanzo just retired today. He announced and he was out for that game. Valdir now signed with the Green Bay Packers. He is the first player in NFL history, folks, to play two postseason games for two different playoff teams. The reason why he can sign with Green Bay was because he was elevated from the Colts practice squad. Thoughts hmm. about that? That's, that's pretty, pretty nuts, isn't it? So That's so lucky. That's so oh, unbelievable. Can you imagine? You, you get a heartbreaking defeat, and then you go, all right, well, I got another opportunity, so it's all right. No problem. And then next week. Playing. You guys are here crying. I still get to play next week. So, so you're telling me if they lose this week, he can he can sign with another team and be like, hey, yeah. I just advanced again. Oh, can he do that a second time or no? I don't know. I, don't so. I mean, there there has to be some type of like rule on that. Rule, like, yeah. Some, some type of uh, line there that he can't cross. But that is very interesting. And then look. The Rams are going up against the Green Bay Packers, who have the projected 2020 NFL MVP in Aaron Rodgers, who's at an outstanding year at age 37, a team that features the likes of Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, Robert Tanyan, Jair Alexander. Do the Rams have a shot to win this game with Sean McVay at the helm? A lot of people are saying yes, and a lot of people are saying that the Rams might even cover the spread, which I think Green Bay is a similar team to Seattle, except they're a little better. Their offense is better than Seattle's, but their defense isn't great. Uh, one thing Green Bay has that Seattle didn't is a lockdown cornerback. So I'm definitely giving Green Bay the edge in, in this game, but I don't see a comfortable margin happening. I could potentially see them sneaking away by like three to four points. What do you guys think? I think the Rams have a legitimate shot. I, I really do think that they do because – especially now that Bakhtiari's out, you know, that's the best left tackle in football. Aaron Donald, Michael Brockers, that, that defensive line is just, it's just freaking scary, man. They, they, they got a chance against any NFL line, any given day, any given, any given game right there in that. And then you have Jalen Ramsey, who's basically proven whether we like the guy or not for attitude that he could shut down any receiver in the NFL. And if he's able to do that against Devontae Adams – I mean, and not that this is any pressure on Aaron Rodgers because we've seen him do it time and time again. He's going to have to resort to his different options. And can Alan Lazard do that? I don't know. Is that enough to win the football game? I don't know. Is Robert Tanyan, even though he's had some great games, is that enough to win the football game? I don't, I don't know. And then you switch over to the Rams side of things. They have a decent offensive line. Uh, you say cornerback. Cornerbacks, Tom. Kevin King as well on the opposite side lining up with Jair Alexander. Those two guys are absolutely fantastic. You got the Smith brothers, Zadarius and Preston. Don't forget about them. But Green Bay, besides the secondary, has really not been good front-wise. And I think that what we saw in the Seattle game against the Rams is that the Rams were able to run all over them. I think that Green Bay might have that same type of situation with Cam Akers or Henderson, whoever it is, because they just flip running backs left and right. 
right. is going to potentially have a field day. It's just going to come down to is Jared Goff going to be able to get away with that one lucky play to Robert Woods or Cooper Cup? I think that's yeah. that's the type of type game that we might see. I just think Aaron Rodgers is an upgrade over Russell Wilson. Uh, so yeah. I, I think that's that's yeah. why I'm more confident in Green Bay coming out on top than I was Seattle last week. That's why I picked the Rams to win last week. Um, probably with the other 2% of the American population. But um, look, guys, the Rams are a good football team. Regardless, a lot of people are saying Jared Goff's not a good quarterback. Jared Goff is a good quarterback. Uh, the problem is the the Rams have gone up against a lot of good defensive teams this year. Jared Goff is not a great quarterback. He's overhyped. I get it. He's making massive money for average results. But when it comes down to it, this Rams defense carries them. This Rams running game carries them. Jared Goff doesn't need to be elite for them to win football games. He needs to be good, but he doesn't need to be Superman. So to go ahead and say Green Bay comfortably wins this game is blasphemy. I think the Packers win, but I think three to four points is definitely most realistic. Um, but, yeah, so I have Green Bay advancing to the NFC Championship game and hosting it. Yeah, no, same. I, as much as I just talked up the Rams, I'm going with Aaron Rodgers. You can't – again, that's another quarterback. You just can't. It's so hard to bet against him. James, are you throwing a curveball at us or you got a – No, I'm going with Green Bay. I, I want to see how um, – depending on who starts – if Jared Goff starts, I want to see how that thumb interacts with the cold weather. Because sometimes – go ahead. No, go ahead. Sorry. No, sometimes when it's super cold and you get an injury, something like that, or with the knee, it will affect it. So, uh, Rumor, uh, John Suggs comments, Aaron Donald did not practice today with uh, his rib injury. Cooper Cup did not practice today either with a knee. Uh, they're both playing yeah. on Saturday. Yeah. yeah, it's just precautionary. Um, yeah. They're both going to play, um, barring anything crazy. So, uh, yeah, that'll be fun to watch that game on Saturday. And then if uh, you want to keep watching Saturday night, we got the five-seed Baltimore Ravens in the AFC at the number two-seed Buffalo Bills, a game where Buffalo is only favored by two and a half. Two young studs, Josh Allen and Lamar Action Jackson, each coming off their first career playoff wins. The Ravens come into this game with the seventh-best defense in football, and they're on a six-game winning streak, including last week's performance. They are scary. Buffalo, the number two offense in the league. Which of these two teams has the best shot at Kansas City? I think it is Buffalo, but I think both teams are capable of beating the Kansas City Chiefs. I think more Buffalo, though. I trust Josh Allen a lot more than I do Lamar Jackson, and that's why I have Buffalo winning this football game. Yeah, it's it, it's Buffalo. I, it, my thing against the Ravens is this, and even though I think Lamar, you know, he shut the haters down, he won his first playoff game. Again, we go back to the Tennessee game. Tennessee's defense is not what Buffalo's is. It, it's not a, running is not going to be really a, a, an asset from what's seen on paper is going to be used to his his advantage. Mm-hmm. And that's the majority of his advantage playing as a quarterback in this league is the ability in which he could do with his legs. Buffalo is going to make him be a passing quarterback. And is he going to do that accurately against this Buffalo team? I don't know. On top of the fact, we like to credit how great the Ravens' defense is. Guys, Indianapolis' defense was better all year round, and they still let up 54 yards and one touchdown to Josh Allen, the quarterback. 
are these is Baltimore going to be able to do the same thing? Or are they going to be able to hold them to less passing yards as well? Before we get to James, I just want to say this. There's snow in the forecast for Saturday night. Baltimore does have the number one rushing attack in football with J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, and Lamar Jackson. So in a snow game, that definitely benefits you. Yeah. My problem is this. It benefits Buffalo as well. So I don't really – uh, that's probably going to be the game of the week. A lot of people are saying that's the game of the week. Uh, I kind of agree. I mean, I think that's going to be real good. The problem I have with Baltimore is I don't necessarily like their offensive line situation at the moment. I think somebody went down for them in that game. I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure. And they're still without Ronnie Stanley. Uh, you mentioned Kyle Buffalo's defense is better. Are those, is that backup left tackle going to be able to hold his ground? Is Mark Andrews going to be able to put up consistent numbers? The, the Ravens don't have a true number one wide receiver on their roster. No. Buffalo they, does. These are the differences of these two teams that gives advantage Buffalo. James. Yep. Having a snow game? Oh, I love snow games. It's like, especially in playoff time. Um, they're expecting it. Not certain, yeah. but they're expecting it. I do know that fans are welcome back at the Bills Stadium, so that's that's always a plus. Um, listen, I look at it this way. We talked about who would match up better in Kansas City. Well, first of all, we have to get through this week. Realistically, if – I'm going Bills here, um, but if Baltimore is able to control Josh Allen, they're going to be able to control pretty much Pat Mahomes. A little bit because I see Josh Allen and Pat Mahomes somewhat of the same person, even though Josh Allen isn't throwing his with both eyes closed and jumped in the air. Yeah. Um, so if that happens, they have the better chance. Um, but Buffalo's just more of a complete team. They have a number one target. They have a good number two slot guy. They also have a good number two wide receiver, a good number one slot guy, a good number two wide receiver. Um, I think from that way, from Buffalo's winning their first game since 95, it's going to only help them. I mean, yeah. yes, Lamar, Lamar, the way I look at it, he got a lot of weight lifted off his shoulders because he finally was able to break through that door. He was able to win his first wild card. He was able to win his first playoff game. Is he able to keep that same, same intensity up heading into this week? I don't know. And if – I got. I have a feeling that he was able to break through the door. He's like, "Oh, cool! I was able to break through the door. I finally accomplished something." But does he still have that drive to accomplish more right now, or was he like, "Good! I just broke through the door. That's all I wanted." So we all got Buffalo across the board. Um, Now we move into Sunday. We have the number six seed Cleveland Browns heading to Arrowhead to play the number one seed Kansas City Chiefs, fourteen and two record, ten point favorites. The Browns. I'll start here. The Browns are coming off a historic upset last week. They have the number three rushing offense in the NFL, but the Chiefs have the number one overall offense in football. That's why they've won 14 games. You could pretty much say the week 17 game was them just resting their starters because they had everything locked up. Yep. But, but the Browns are getting their some of their weapons back. They're getting Kevin Stefanski back. They're getting Joel Batonio back. Jack Conklin, I don't know his status. He has that calf injury. He's been day-to-day. That's what they're saying. Uh, But I will say this. Cleveland is a better team without Odell Beckham Jr. Kansas City has played down to their opponents this year, Denver and Atlanta, to name a Mm -hmm. couple of examples. 
I don't know. I really think Cleveland is going to go all out, control the tempo of this game, and Kansas City, they're going to have trouble with that defense getting Cleveland's offense off the field. However, I think the Chiefs are going to survive and win this game. But everyone who's saying that the Browns don't have a shot, be careful because everyone said that last week in regards to Pittsburgh. And Look what happened. The Browns are getting hot at the right time. They're riding high. It was a good moral victory for them. But Kansas City has to make sure that they are prepared for the Cleveland Browns. And I can't believe I'm saying that, but it's 2021 now. We've gone through everything of last year. And now it's really difficult for me to bet against Andy Reid coming off a bye. Yeah, Tom, I'm in complete agreement with you. I'm still picking the Chiefs just because, again, Patrick Mahomes is just a guy that no matter how big the lead is, it doesn't even matter. We all saw last year against uh, the Texans in the playoffs, what was it, like a 21-point deficit the Chiefs were in? He just erased that in a matter of no time. I, I don't see that being a problem. The only, uh, the big thing, as much as I love Baker, the the big thing that's going to keep them this in their in this game, excuse me, is the Browns' run attack because the Chiefs don't have a good run defense. I think they rank uh, 22, 23 in terms of run defense that allow around one hundred twenty plus yards a game. And when you have Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, that's the best tandem in all of football. It's going to be hard, no matter how good that defense is for the Chiefs in terms of talent they have, like a Frank Clark, like a Chris Jones lining up in front, to get them off the field and to allow Patrick Mahomes to have the opportunities to really cash in when his offense is on the field. I think that's going to be – I don't want to say tight game, but I could see it being within maybe a seven-point margin. I could see that, but I'm still edging the Chiefs just because Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes, and I think that's enough well said. That's an explanation in and of itself. So I'm going to go Chiefs. Um, the reason for that is I trust Spags on the defense. He he can literally send everybody and still have guys in cover easily. Um, it's I can see this game turning into a Baltimore-Cleveland game. Where it was a shootout all along. I think it will be a shootout all the way up to like the th- end of the third quarter where then like Kansas City starts pulling away. Um, because Kansas City can't keep up that momentum. We just see him drop. Kyle said it. They just erased a 21-point deficit within a matter of five minutes maybe. So if they ever get behind, I don't – I'm not concerned that they aren't going to be able to be like, Pat Mahomes going to go, like, say, a 50-yard – no, a 25-yard and a 75-yard for a touchdown. And that's 30 seconds to a minute in the books, and they're back on the field. You know, I yeah. – I see them. So so we all sweep the Chiefs, and John Suggs has an interesting comment. Lamar Jackson is a higher completion percentage this year than Patrick Mahomes. That's insane. Uh, Patrick doesn't Mahomes, throw the ball as much. Exactly. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes also takes more risks than Lamar Jackson. But the last game we're going to breeze through here quickly, the Buccaneers, the five-seed upset uh, – not upset really, but they beat Washington on Saturday night. They travel to the two-seed New Orleans Saints Sunday starting shortly after 6.30 p.m. Saints are favored by three. Bucks come in. This is going to be a great battle offensively and defensively. The two teams rank in the top six defenses in the league. And then Tampa Bay has been hot as of late. They have not lost in a while. 
They were seven and five, and now they've won five games straight to make the playoffs. Tom Brady, Drew Brees, round three. Saints won both of the meetings this year. Most recently, 38 to three, where they blew out Tampa. And then week one, you had that close game, of course. And this game marks history as this will be the first time ever that two quarterbacks over the age of 40 will face off in a playoff game. Uh, this is a really tough game to pick, but I'm not betting against Tom Brady in the playoffs. I don't care how many times they met in the regular season and how many times that they've lost. Leonard Fournette is more involved in the offense now. Uh, Antonio Brown is doing really good for them lately as well. Here's the difference to me. It's not about what you've done this season. It's about how you're trending as of late, right? You get into the playoffs, your record doesn't matter anymore. Your seed doesn't matter. Especially, I know the Saints will have some fans in the Superdome, but the Bucks are trending up, the Saints are trending down. So that's why my pick is Tampa Bay. But I really do like the Saints defense. They've done a phenomenal job all year long. It's very tough to pick against them, but when Tom Brady's on their center, I mean, I just can't do it. The real question for me is the coaching job of Bruce Arians. That's raised some red flags to me, but I like Tom Brady in Tampa. You know, I happen to agree. As much as I love Drew Brees, and I think we could all agree that this might be potentially one of the final times we even see him playing in an NFL game again, which is sad to even see. But I would love to see Drew go out, be Tom Brady, one of the GOATs. I just hope that it's a very competitive game, neck and neck. I hope it's close right down to the wire. I'm edging out with Tom Brady, exactly what you said. I, I don't know if you guys saw this, but I think it was earlier in the week. It was like a press conference with like Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski, and they both just said the same thing. The regular season doesn't matter. All those 16 games don't matter. They, they, uh, they both said you just get – you go through the movements, you, you go through those games, you win as many as you need to in order to make the playoffs and put yourself in a good position. And then the playoffs is a whole different animal, and those guys being in – a majority of the playoffs that I've watched in my 10 years of watching football, they dominate as a tandem. Um, Antonio Brown as well with the Steelers during his tenure with their, they dominate. That's what they do. Again, it's going to be too much offense thrown at that defense, no matter how good they are. And the Saints are, the Saints are a really big question because the Saints really struggled against this Chicago team. Chicago had a legitimate chance to win. Uh, Javon Wims just missing an open touchdown. Otherwise, the Saints would have been losing for a majority of this football game. That, that's how close they played the Chicago team. And when you have a team in the Saints that have such a dominant offense, you can't mess around like that and only put up 21 points. James, if, if anything, I think this is a game that's going to be a shootout, and it's going to lead to a shootout just because of the arms and guys at quarterback that we see in Tom Brady and Drew Brees, I think they're going to do anything necessary to win this game. I think it's going to be on the backs of them. I, I see it being a shootout for sure. Um, but, oh, to be honest, as far as I can remember, Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Tom Brady. I'm tired of hearing that name in the playoffs. Yada, yada, yada. Same BS every year, every time the playoffs. He's getting knocked out Sunday. I'm sorry. For all you Brady I lovers, it. I love it. I, and Gronk lovers, there, there's some other stuff I'd love to say, but I'm not. So they're good. They're good. They're, they're goodbye. Enjoy your big, big mansions in Florida. You know, enjoy the beach. Whatever, whatever you do, whatever. Um, they're getting knocked out. I'm sorry, Drew Brees and Sean Payton's going out high this year. Uh, whether that be the Super Bowl, I'm sorry, the big game, or the um, the divisional uh, next week. They're coming in 
they, yeah, records don't mean much, but what you just said, Tom Brady and Gronk's like, oh, we go through the motions just to get to the playoffs. That's too cocky. I'm sorry. That just that pisses me off. Oh, okay, I'm just doing the motions because I know we're the best team in the league, yada, yada, yada. I don't care. I'm sorry. Uh, Drew Brees, the way Jack Rabbit looked last week was phenomenal. Um, looked probably as good as he was when he was on the Giants um, for a short period of time. I'm going with Saints. I'm sorry. I'm tired of hearing Tom Brady and Gronk. You guys can argue with me all day. It's not going to change my mind. You viewers can argue with me all day. It's not going to change my mind. Um, I'm riding the breeze wave, um, and hopefully he goes out high because he probably is. And I hear this uh, this this game is being aired on the History Channel. Is that correct? No, that's, no, that's, 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 that's just that's a joke. Just, that's just a oh, joke. Because I, no, no, I know, I know, I know. But you got, man, you know, that would have been great because we got Nickelodeon, and then we got the History Channel. What's next? You know, you got two quarterbacks from the Stone Age performing against each other. That's why it's a History Channel vibe. Um, ah. Yeah, what is it? The first time ever playoff history that you got two quarterbacks over the age of forty matching up against each other, or something like that. Something like that. Tom Brady forty three and Drew Brees forty, and still probably top five quarterbacks in this league. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that's going to be fun to watch. Uh, I'm going Tom Brady. You'll be hearing more about Tom Brady next year, James, because he's coming back. So I'm looking forward to displeasuring you on every show. So I will continue Uh, to do that. that, You know, but that's next year. As long as they lose this year, I don't have to hear for the rest of the year. Um, All right. Let's get some hockey, man. Uh, We got finally uh, NHL preview uh, season – Pretty much starts t- tomorrow night, but the Rangers and the Islanders don't play until Thursday. It's been a crazy off season. All games this year will be divisional due to the pandemic. The divisions will include the Mass Mutual East, which is where the Rangers and Islanders will play, the Honda West, the Scotia North, and the Discover Central. So what are your guys' general thoughts heading into the NHL season before we dive into uh, our teams. I mean, I think we could all agree upon this in terms of what happened last year in 2020. Well, first off, it's not even an argument. The NHL was the first team to really establish this bubble. Everybody else kind of followed afterwards. And Gary Bettman, a guy who was kind of hated as a commissioner, kind of turned his whole career around with that one thing, which is massive. Don't let that be an understatement but established this bubble and was able to have a clean and successful NHL season. Now they're playing, they built divisions and they're not playing in bubbles necessarily, but I'm looking forward to this season a lot. Um, James, don't quote me on this, but isn't it 56 games or something like that? I want to say, I don't know how many games are being played. Is it 56 or 52? Um, Like that. Yeah, what they're trying to do is ultimately for the next season, for 2021-2022, is to start back on time. Um, yeah. That way, it, Which makes sense because the NBA is trying to do that. Every league wants to just start back on time. Um, yeah. But, yes, you, you are – it's either 52 or 56, guys. 56. It's 56. 56. Yeah, that's going to even make this more competitive as a whole, knowing that they don't have as many opportunities as they would in an 82-game season. You're going to be seeing multiple uh, – Opportunities. I know one that we look forward to a lot is that the Islanders and Rangers match up against each other, what, eight times this season? So that's yep. going to be really, really exciting, whereas, whereas opposed to a normal season, it only be four times. So 
I have a lot to look forward to as an Islander fan, as a hockey fan. I think we all do. This is going to be a very exciting season, even though it is cut short. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Hank with the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, North Division is going to be a bloodbath. I agree, John. That's going to be a fun one to keep track of. And then 27 players already tested positive this week. 17 of them were on the Dallas Stars. Yep. So that's that's just not good. Uh, not a good start to the season. But uh, the Rangers in the offseason, they had the number one overall pick in the draft. They went out and they got Alexis Lafreniere. Number one overall, uh, which is a great addition considering the Rangers had the second overall pick in the previous year with Capo Caco. And somehow the Rangers got real lucky with that, making the playoffs last season, ending up with the number one overall pick. Thank you, Carolina Hurricanes. We really appreciate you. Um, and now the Rangers look to be headed back to the playoffs if all goes well. Uh, Mika Zabinajad diagnosed with COVID 19. He will more, more than likely miss the opener. But the Rangers had a pretty good offseason, guys. It all started with uh, the buyout with Henrik Lundqvist, which is difficult to talk about as a Rangers fan because Hen- Hank was a tremendous part of the organization for quite some time. And I think it's pretty much all you know growing up as a goalie. Uh, you don't really know anything else. And now Igor Shosturkin and uh, Georgiev are going to be the guys in net. But it's going to be a different season without Hank in net. And then of course we offloaded the contract of Mark Stahl. I think we traded him. So it's, it's going to be different seeing a different mesh, uh, a younger breed of players now on the ice for the Rangers, but I'm definitely looking forward to the future and hopefully this Igor kid gets some more reps. He was pretty good last year, guys. He was pretty good. Pretty good. The guy was freaking phenomenal. It was the scariest goalie in hockey for like the, um, was it two, three months until he got into that car accident, James, or something like that? Uh, Something like that. Yeah, he even, when he was in goal against us, I was like, wow, they got their goalie, which was great because it's great to see the young guys on the Rangers, considering they had Lundqvist for so long and all those older guys. But, man, I was like, he's the goalie of the Rangers future right now. Yeah, and I know that it's going to be very fun as Islander fans as we watch the matchup potentially of Ilya Sorokin versus Shesterk, and that'll be a battle, hopefully, that will last a very long time. Um, with this Rangers team, I look at this team, uh, as young as they are, they are probably one of the scariest teams in all of hockey because of what they have to throw at you. Like Tom, like you said, they, they scored with Capo Caco. I, I remember the day, I think it was back in August, I was driving, and my buddy sent me a snap video of him watching the, uh, what was it called, the lottery and the ball drops, they show the Rangers. I'm like, you got to be like my worst nightmare coming true because they're talking about what kind of perennial player this guy, Alexi Lafaniere, is mm-hmm. comparing him to like Sidney Crosby. And I'm like, God, man, it, it wasn't enough to add Zibanejad. It wasn't enough to land a Capocaco. It wasn't enough. You landed Otani Panarin, but you had to land the next Sidney Crosby. That's great. On top of the fact that you have already an established goalie who in, what was it, 11 or 12 starts went like 10 and 1. Absolutely incredible. This team didn't lose anything based off of last season. Yes, Henrik Lundqvist, uh, I, I can't imagine as a hockey fan watching him grow up because the Islanders kind of had uh, didn't necessarily have that starting goalie like the Rangers did, that known guy. But 
I think last season, and uh, whether you like the guy or not, if you watch them closely enough, he was a lot. He was a big portion of the reason why they were losing a lot of these close games because the offensive numbers were there. His performance had just declined, and that comes with age, obviously. But now with this guy Shesterkin in there, uh, Gorgiev, like Hank alluded to, Tommy alluded to, what the offense they have, defense they have, uh, Jacob Truba, who didn't really play well last year, but probably will come back stronger than ever. D'Angelo as well. Uh, Keandre Miller is another guy to watch out for if you're a Ranger fan, up-and-coming guy. This team is so scary. Buchnevich. Uh, Pavel Buchnevich. Um, Philip Edel looked to come into his own last season as well. This team is so – Adam Fox. This goes on and on. It's so scary. It's hard to talk about as an Islander fan because knowing they're in the same division, knowing you got to play them eight times this year, but they're going to be very fun and competitive, I think. Yeah, no, Bruce, you had everything on the head that I either I was going to bring up or had to say. But between seeing the Rangers build off being not only a rival division, but also a New York-based division where uh, rival, where you have to pretty much, Tom, like what me and you are wearing up at the top of our screens is he's wearing a New York Rangers shirt. I'm wearing a New York Islanders shirt that us fans don't get along with each other very well, especially during the season, especially when we play with each other, uh, play against each other. Um, But at the same time as coming from an Islanders fan, the Rangers have pushed all the right buttons, getting the younger guys, getting the big name guys, big or somewhat big name guys, figuring out their goalie. Um, And it's great to see because it's great to see that, hockey is growing it especially in organizations um but man you guys are you guys are something else i'm not i'm not scared of you guys but you guys got my attention thank you for that james um and now i'll throw it to you and kyle to the new york islanders a team that lost in the eastern conference finals this year uh, they they made a good run, but it was not enough, led by Barry Trotz um, and Anders Lee. They have a good team, and they are looking to get back to where they were and potentially reach the Stanley Cup final this season. What do you guys think, man? It all starts Thursday against the Rangers. It's going to be a, a really fun ride in 2021 for New York hockey. Hank is talking smack in the comments. Yeah, I know, and then the season hasn't even started yet. Come on, Jeez. let it unfold. It's good on guess, Hank, 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 if you want to put your money where your mouth is, why don't you heat up some fish sticks on Thursday night? Uh, I guess that's a uh, joke. Yeah. Oh, wait. Oh, fish sticks. Island. No, ah, no fish okay. sticks. Come on, Russo. What the- I'm sorry. Come okay, on, no. Russo. Have a nice okay. night. Some type of Islanders fan you are. Yeah. Um, go to my Islanders. Um. They're going to be a great team this year. They're, they're going to be a good team. Uh, I think yep. that last season they had one of the best goalie combos in hockey with Bryce and Varla, uh, Varlamov. Really? I think that Sorokin, if he lives up to the hype in which he has, I think they could easily compete in terms of goalie combos like the Rangers will for a top. Yep. The offense is there, James. I don't know what you're most excited about. I'm really excited that now having J.G. Pajot for a full year. I think now having him locked up after acquiring him at the deadline was a major acquisition um, yes. for the Islanders really sparked the offense. That's going to be something that I'm going to be looking out for specifically this year because we know what Barzal is capable of. Barzal has been tagged as a 
do I like the Barzal deal? John, yes, I do like the Barzal deal. I think it lines up to, I want to say, four, uh, $4 million the first year, uh, $7 million the second, and ten the third, I want to say. So I do like it. It's a very friendly contract if they want to get rid of him after a couple of years. Oh, boy. Hey. Yeah, but it, it works out for them in the long run. Again, people were saying that Barzal could command $9 million a year. Yeah. I'm so happy with this contract that Lamarillo put together. Um, but back to what I was saying, the offense, James, we know what the offense is going to be capable of. My biggest question with this team is going to be the defense because the defense, they traded away Devontae's, who was one of their best up-and-coming defensemen, who could yep. also score and create his you know, own shot goals and put points up on the board for them in that situation as well. Uh, Johnny Boychuk, our oldest veteran uh, defender, who was one of our best defensemen, retired due to his eye injury that he suffered late last year as well. So those are yeah. two of their best defenders. Now it goes on behalf of we, – we know what Pollock is going to be able to do. We know what Pollock is going to be able to do. We know what Letty is going to be able to do. But Noah Dobson is the name that I look at defenseman-wise because we saw him play a lot of games last season, but he really didn't play that great, to be honest. And what is he going to be now? I think that's the biggest question. Now having yeah. to heavily rely on him now that boy Chuck and Devontae is not there. See, I trust Barry Trotz in all his moves, what he's done. He's shown us that he can he's can work with pretty much whatever you give him. Yeah. Um, I am concerned about the defense like it did bring up a little bit. I'm sure it'll take a little bit of time for them to get rolling. Um, but I do like having Matt Martin back. I love um, having Matt Martin back. Because having Matt Martin back isn't – people love – like once he got signed, obviously, before Buzzroll, once he got signed, everybody's like, yes, we got Matt Martin back. I, I honestly love – seeing him on the ice and he does so much for this team, even though he may not score that much, but he's able to pick pretty much any fight he wants and win. And yeah. which is, because you, you, you see, and the hits against the board, forget about it. You know, those are some pretty hard hits. He does. He lays the hits on. I'm like you said, Kyle, the defense is a little concerning. Um, well, I think the Islanders were fairly decent in respect. Uh, but no, that's fine. I wasn't sure if there was anything of, uh, you know, of Hank wanting to talk about. Um, Rangers major two, three Islanders look good, but I don't know how long it will last. Yeah, John, you know, nobody really knows how long anything's going to last. Yeah. Um, but I think with Barry Trotz at the helm, it's only going to be trending upward. Um, he he can kind of pull stuff out and change. He can, Kyle, we've seen he's changed lines up and it's worked for the better. I mean, James, we saw it in his first year, and you would think after losing a guy in John Tavares, the team would be going down the hill. And meanwhile, they made the playoffs and made a run yep. uh, with, with a guy in, um, oh boy, Robin Lanner, who had essentially yeah. fallen out the league, and now Varlamov, who essentially fell out the league. You bring him in, and this guy is one game away from reaching the Stanley Cup in his first year with the team. Yeah. I, listen, I look forward to the season. I look forward to our matchups eight times this this year, Tom. Uh, we face you guys Thursday. We see you guys Saturday. I know it doesn't really mean much not being able to be there. You know, it would be great if us three could go to a game or whatnot. But watching it from home, seeing them eight times, and just seeing the division because we have a heavy division too. Yeah. yeah so. You do. Um, yeah, I think we're seeing a split. In those first two, that 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 would be my prediction. But you yeah. never know. Uh, 
I think the Islanders are a team that um, could get off to a good start. I think for the Rangers, it may take a few weeks for them to kind of get their to get their footing. So, uh, but we're gonna skip over the way too early Cup final predictions due to timing, and we're gonna get straight into uh, the New York Mets. Quick here, uh, we're just gonna talk about the Francisco Lindor acquisition. They acquired him from the Cleveland Indians for. Um, Obviously, they also got Carlos Carrasco in the deal, but for Ahmed Rosario, Andres Jimenez, Josh Wolf, and Isaiah Green. I don't know how the Mets uh, didn't need to give up guys like Pete Crow, Crow, Crow uh, Armstrong, other guys like that that they were able to keep. But let me tell you this, man. I was really happy with that trade as a Mets fan. I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but now you could potentially flirt with the idea of wild card. Uh, I'm not the most optimistic Mets fan. I think this move in itself, uh, I'm not going to say he's going to come in here and hit 30 dingers this year, but he's been living up to that expectation out in Cleveland. I think that Lindor is a great acquisition. I think he's an upgrade over Jimenez and Rosario. And I think what really flies under under the radar, James, the addition of Carrasco because it kind of fulfills a need in that rotation right now without Noah Syndergaard. So now you kind of have a backbone with him, Stroman, and David Peterson all lined up behind Jacob deGrom, right? And it's yes. a lot better than Michael Waka and Rick Porcello, who we had last year. So I'm kind of really looking forward. I still think the Mets are a move or two away from completing their team for 2021. But as of right now, the infield looks really promising. No, the infield does. When I saw the news break for getting those two guys out of Cleveland and only giving up, honestly, a real big, uh, the big probably name, Rosario, I was like, wait, are you serious? Like, this isn't fake or anything, right? Um, It's phenomenal. He might be like, you know how when Cespedes came in, he might be the Cespedes, but not really, in a sense. Like, he brought all the power and stuff. Lindor is here for a season, so we're going to see what he can produce for the season, not just half of the season. Um. And also with that pitching staff, it find, it's somewhat going to kind of solidify because, like Tom said, you're not having Cindergard. Uh, um, you're going to follow him up with Stroman, with DeGrom, with all them other guys. I think it's going to be helpful. I don't see Matt starting in our rotation with the addition. I think he'll be the fifth guy for you just to start the season off because Peterson will come at the season. four and but, then potentially at the five. But adding them to phenomenal – I do agree. There's they're a they're a wild card team. Um, you know, if the health gods help them out without getting the injury bug, um, but you know, we, we have to see. I am look. I'm looking forward to the future for this team with the new owner, with a few new additions. It may not happen this year, but within the next two to three years, we should see an improvement and hopefully being in competition a lot more than what we have in past years. I mean, listen, as long as they get hit when the ground pitches, I think you guys will be fine. Yeah. That's really it. Yeah, that's the big issue. That's I mean, it the is. big issue, guys. It is. Yeah. Um, it'll be it. Yeah. Um, all right, last topic of the evening. Let's move on to the Yankees. Where will DJ LeMayhew end up? Stating, uh, well, media has blown this up saying, DJ is not happy with the Yankees, Kyle. What's the deal? Uh, he's going to end up back with the Yankees. 
Yeah, I, I think he's going to end up back with the Yankees. That's that's what's going to come. To, I, it's not even me being biased. I think that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. We see players. Hey, let me let me let me have some hopes and dreams, okay? Because you you lose that MVP player, you could eliminate yourself. But um, I think he's going to come back. He said he doesn't want to leave New York. Now, does that mean he's going to start with the Mets? God, that'd be a nightmare. But I think he's going to end up back with the Yankees. He wants to be there. Again, he's looking at some of these other teams like Boston and Toronto. The Yankees are essentially his best team to win with at this point in time, especially because he is 32 years old. So whatever team he signs with will probably not only be his best chance to win, but the ending of his career. I don't think that means he's going to take a pay cut. I think he's essentially going to get what he wants out of the Yankees, but the Yankees are playing a little too much hardball for me personally because, again, you don't want to lose that type of player considering he's your best batter, and he's been in the MVP conversation the last two years that he's been here. James, what do you think? Listen, would I love to see him just cross the bridge, cross the river off to City Field? Yeah, I would. Just because to, to shut Yankee fans up that DJ is not theirs anymore. James just wants uh, to see me cry. That's it. Well, no, I don't, Russo. Um, but realistically, it, it if the deal doesn't work, the deal doesn't work. They're either going to overpay for a guy that's 32 years old or they're going to let him walk. That's realistically how I see the, them doing this. Yeah. No, I mean, I think DJ's going to end up back with the Yankees ultimately. You know, Hank brings up a good point here. Cashman does this stuff a lot. He keeps us waiting until he makes a big move, although I fear in this case he's not going to take action until it's too late. So Hank thinks there might be some movement. Uh, it'll be interesting. I think DJ's safe as a Yankee. I think – Kyle's right. It's going to be a restructured type of thing. I wouldn't be shocked if he goes somewhere else, but yeah, um, yeah, I, I don't think LeMahieu is going to get a monstrous deal from another team, but we will see. We will see. Uh, anything you guys would like to add as we wrap up tonight's show? Always fun, guys. Always a good show. Always good content. Always having a great time here on Tuesday night. Looking forward to the weekend. Yeah. Islander Rangers. Football, nothing going wrong with that. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, no, I agree. It's going to be a great week. We have Thursday night, Big Blue Avenue, featuring Hank and Dichter and myself on Thursday night. And make sure, yes, subscribe to our YouTube channel, at Review and Preview Sports. We put up all of our exclusive content, video clips, and segments from specific shows. And we do have an announcement on Monday, January 18th, we are excited to announce the newest extension to our brand review and preview. We are adding a basketball show called the 3D Podcast, hosted by Paul Lombardi. I will be on his first show with him. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to talk all things basketball, NBA related, maybe sprinkle in some college hoops as well. So that will be Monday at what do we say? We're going to go six or seven? Did he, did he say, was he specific? Six. six. I think he said six earlier. Six. six or seven. Um, you, you guys will see all that stuff right. posted. We'll, we'll make an announcement again in the next few days. Um, so definitely check that out on Monday. Absolutely. All right, James, Kyle, it's been a pleasure. And we'll be back next week with review and preview. Everyone have a good night. So long.